I don't remember. I remember I was talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't remember the content. Welcome to episode 194 of Flicks in the Six. Fun fact, this entire show takes place in two rooms. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony Costanzo, with me forever and always, the man, the mist, the mist? I've never been accused of being a mist before. I was going to call it, I, I, I guess, developed a lisp within the sentence, and uh, it also feels like it's still happening, so maybe that's here now. Um, sorry. Uh, the man, the myth, Mr. Chartreuse is what I was going to say. And I was, nice. I was already making it difficult for myself. <laughs> Did not expect to be tripped up by myth. Uh, say hello, Al. <laughs> you shoot me in a dream, you better wake up and apologize. Oh, man, that line got me the other night when I, I was like, there's a lot of quotable things in here, but that's, that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, there's a lot of non-quotable things in there too. <laughs> well, that's the thing we'll is like, that. I mean, like there's there's a lot of great lines in this, but none of them stuck with me quite like that one did. Yeah. Like I feel like it's I so, have more. It's so it's yeah. so jazzy. It's quick. <laughs> <laughs> I just I feel like there's like a lot of like tone and theme and like experiencing of scenes, whereas I don't feel like I retained yeah. the information of the dialogue in any yeah. of them. More, more on that in probably roughly two hours. <laughs> On this week's episode, <laughs> Walker joined Walker. Walker? My my autocorrect screwed up the notes. <laughs> Walker joins Dune, a keg of Chardonnay. What we do in the shadows, season four. The Icelandic. I I can't speak today. This is going to be a rough episode. It's going to be tough to do a podcast if you can't speak. The Icelandic <laughs> Fish Festival. Also, you're giving me tongue twisters over here. I am. Trailers. Poker face. All before diving into our flick of the week, Reservoir Dogs. But first, Al, what warm beer are you drinking? <laughs> warm adjacent. <laughs> warm adjacent. Well, at least it's been stored in the basement, which is like cooler than room temperature, but like not by a mm. lot. Yeah. Um, Especially not now that it's like a thousand degrees. Sure. Um, so we're drinking Beer Tree Brew Company's Trippy Tree, which is a sour New England IPA. 7.3% alcohol by volume with acai, blueberry, and blackberry. Um, it's brewed and canned in Port Crane, New York, which I don't know where that is. <laughs> I, I'm cool as fuck. Store me at 38 degrees, please, which I did not do. Uh, it is a pint, which might be the best thing that we can say about this beer, considering Anthony tipped off to me ahead of time that he's not a fan of this one. Um, <laughs> it contains lactose. So... There's a lot of reasons here why that beer probably should have stayed refrigerated <laughs> for you and did not, but we'll see what happens to you. Uh, I, I'm hoping that I get, I'm pleasantly surprised because I don't really remember the beer. I just remember having it and going, meh, and, and, and then moving on. For the record. Because it was like, old, oh, so this is an old beer. For the record, beer it, was, is it was not me. A year and a half old. It's not my fault this time. It's Anthony's fault this time. How is it my fault? 90% of the episodes, you pick the beer. No, no. Well, uh, listen, whether I picked this beer or you picked this beer, it's your fault that it's old. That's the point I was making. How is it my fault it's old? Because you supplied this one. No, no. I supplied it a year and a half ago. No, there's no way. There's no way I have yeah. this sitting around for a year. No, you have. You've had it for a very long time. Because this beer, <laughs> we got like the October 
before that was like 2021. No, it was 2020. 2020. It was October 2020. I don't know. We'll see. That's <laughs> yeah, that's when you that's when you got it. Oh. I don't think it was. Pandemic. Yes. <laughs> okay, either way. <laughs> it's, you've had it for a long time. Yeah, but not a year and a half, though. Maybe a year. It's possible. Is this beer from 2019? I'm starting to get concerned that it's even older. No, I have no, to figure I'm out what at, I went on, on this trip. On the All bottom, right. it says, trip on this, September 29th, 2020. Oh, wow. So when I got it, it was hella fresh. <laughs> okay. Um. Well, that also doesn't bode well for the beer because I had it super fresh and didn't care for. It. Anyway, maybe it let's needed not... to be maybe it needed to be warm aged. It's, it's a yeah, it's a little <laughs> little cart before the horse. Let's give it a taste and let it and let it let's decide. Okay, now. Oh, I actually. love the color of it in your clear glass, which is unlike. It my, looks pretty cool. My color. It's got a, It looks like um, pureed raspberries. Yeah, I can see that. It's got some alarming chunks, <laughs> but. I didn't see any chunks come out in mine, but I also didn't pour out the bottom, so. Should I call you an alarming chunk next week? The alarming chunk. <laughs> it would have been more accurate than calling me a mist. <laughs> I am the mist. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Ooh, I got one. <laughs> okay. I also almost poured the beer on top of the microphone. But... That wouldn't have been as great. So thankfully, I can say while well, you're taking your first sip. It tastes better than it smells because I was a little bit alarmed and not in a chunky fashion as to its smell as I was getting ready to sample it. I was like, mm. oh boy, maybe this should have not have been warm aged. But mm. it doesn't taste horrible. It doesn't smell great. Mm-mm. Okay, here's the thing. It's all coming back to me. And it's the beer all it's... coming back to me. <laughs> the, the beer itself is fine. I would also, you know what? I'm going to pause for a second. I would like to also point out that I did mark down what time we started the beer talk. So I'm pretty proud of myself. That's this the first time like the in first months. time in like a year. So. <laughs> um, okay, it's coming back. So structurally, what the beer is trying to do, I feel like it is doing well. Anytime I think that you have problem... to start the sentence in describing a beer with structurally, <laughs> already digging yourself out of a hole. No, the problem, the problem is, and this is on me. This is fully on me, not them. Um, I don't like acai. Like, I don't like it. (laughs) So, no, I mean, sorry, I should take that back. The only time I like it is in bowl form. (laughs) When it's also covered with, like, granola and bananas and honey and peanut butter. Okay. Basically, other things that make it so that I don't taste the acai. Oh, say other things that are all very strong independent flavors of their own that Mm -hmm. tend to dominate things. Right, so basically I don't care for acai and yet i bought this because you know what this was like no this is the type of beer that you just buy when you see it you gotta try sour sour any ipa got me that was like what does that mean fruits with fruits yeah no you give this one a shot for sure yeah i I mean blueberry and blackberry all about that Mm -hmm. this isn't i'm i'm not upset about it it's not as bad as i remember it being it's fine maybe i shouldn't have drank it fresh maybe it was just a different time like I said, I think it just needed to be warm-aged. You know what? I bought two beers that day. Did you and the other one? one was really good. Ah, okay. Uh, and I so think we did it on the show. Uh, I don't remember. It was like some sort of coffee coffee IPA. It was like a, it's like an 8-bit art style on it. That sounds familiar. Uh, we definitely did a beer yeah. that had that. Yeah, that was from the same... 
That that was from okay, so that was from the same trip, and we did that one like relatively close to when I obtained it. I can't speak to that. <laughs> that one fresh. We drink it a hundred years afterwards. Al, what, what, what kind of thuckles are we working with here? There is mine. stuff in here. Probably I'm not mine, right? Probably my thuckles. I don't know. Um, one and a half. I'm going to go with one and a half thuckles. I will. I think I'm going half a thuckle. I'll I'll use your other half thuckle. <laughs> I do have one lying around for you. <laughs> Waste not, as they say. It's well, fine. You know. Wait, I'm sorry. Hang on a second. Did you say I? I you just got away with murder here. Did you say one and a half thuckles? Yes. We don't do half thuckles. Do we not? No, the thuckle is the half. <laughs> but we only go up to f- four thuckles usually. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so one thuckle, I guess. Okay, one thuckle. Then I'm gonna go neutral here. No thuckles. Zero thuckles. Okay, at least Zero it's not thuckles. negative thuckles. I'm not gonna go negative. I'm not gonna go negative because we've we've gone up to well, we've established we've never done it, but we've established that we can go up to negative four thuckles. That's right. We have yeah, we have it then. Four. Thuckles. I wonder if there's four a thuckles beer down. The negative. You know what, Budweiser. Negative four thuckles. No, there's worse beers. I've had worse beers than Budweiser. Yeah. It, I'm not saying that Budweiser, you know, Bud Heavy wouldn't be a negative on the thuckle scale. Of thuckle it's like down, a, it's a, it's a, it's a minus three. It's like, it's definitely not a minus four. Three thuckles down. You have to hold that fourth thuckle for something truly terrible. Yeah. I mean, that's okay. That's fair. You know, whatever, you know, piss light or whatever. We, you got to save that fourth thuckle for the aroma of beers. That That's what... The, the aroma <laughs> of beers. Can, we, can we do that? Can we make it intentionally? Can we do a producer-style bit where we make the worst possible light American lager and name it Roma Light? <laughs> oh, oh, man. It's a bad movie. It's bad. <laughs> I love that you have... Totally, uh, bl- like, erased that movie from your memory. And yeah, I that's, that's triggered PTSD. Trauma. I yeah. literally triggered PTSD <laughs> in you, like, a month ago. I don't, I don't know how you forgot it and scrubbed it so cleanly from your memory. Oh, man. I, yeah. Oh, my God. Is that the worst movie? It has to be, because we still lovingly make jokes about the Phantom Thread. We have yeah. avoided at all costs talking about Roma. Yeah. Power of the dog. Yeah, I when it comes down to it, gun to my head. No, if you made I me am. watch them again, if you if you if you line me I'll, up in a row, Phantom Thread, um, Power of the Power Dog, of the and dog, Roma, Roma, I would watch yeah. the other two before I would watch Roma. If you force me to. Yeah, I think I think I'm with you, man. That's a that's a revelation. That's, <laughs> I, uh, this I is how we realize. Heal. This is how we. Heal. This is, is it. And now all I'm thinking about is that movie <laughs> and just the things that happen in it. Ugh. So like, it's such an unnecessary movie, but that's not fair, right? Because there's there's a lot of unnecessary movies. I would argue that the majority of movies are unnecessary. You could make an argument that all of them are unnecessary. <laughs> I wouldn't agree with the argument, but you could make it. You could make it. Uh, it's just, it had a thing that it wanted to say, but I don't know, put it in a documentary or a textbook, and... Just that movie was trash. Or how about we this? Movie. Make it more We're interesting. Not talking about it. Make it more interesting. Be a better movie. Is that <laughs> yeah, your? Be, is that your just, review? That's your critique. Just be generally movie. be better. <laughs> uh, the aroma of beers. All right, we have 
a, a wealth of news and nuggets to get through today. I told you earlier today, you better be prepared. Yeah. Because uh, last week, I think, you know, we were off for several weeks. You expect it to be jam-packed and chaotic. Sure. But I'm coming with that same energy, and coming we recorded a week ago. That's true. You're going to do this every week? You're going to come in hot like this? I'm going to try. It is, it is May. Like It's been coming in hot. Months, it's going to be 95 degrees in a couple of days. There's so. going to be a lot of stuff. <laughs> okay. No, I'm not even joking. Go, we're going straight up temperature. <laughs> Saturday is going to be 95 degrees. I know. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not thrilled about that happening this early. Um. All right. News and nuggets. Yes. You tell me what you want to hear first. I want to know about walking in Dune. So we're just gonna do this chronologically, okay? Um, well, <laughs> that's. I mean, <laughs> that's not fair. <laughs> it happens to be the first one. Um, okay, so Dune Part 2, Christopher Walken to play the Emperor in sequel for Legendary and Warner Brothers. This is on Deadline. So, I'm curious about this because I, I, I would have assumed that that movie was underway. No. No, we knew it's not. It's in pre-production. Like, I, they probably have the script, but they haven't started shooting it. Oh, okay. I, I think they're going to start by the end of the year, but I'm not 100% sure. But we knew it was going to be a bit of a delay to them actually getting the camera rolling on that one. Gotcha. So. You could say we knew, but you knew. I'm just along for the ride. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure we <laughs> talked about it when. Uh, you think I retain things? <laughs> well, fair. But. The um, old, my, my brain only has room for movies and like the quotes, <laughs> not the actual news about things that are coming. <laughs> That's what you had me for. <laughs> That's why we do this show. Exactly. Um, so, uh, Denis Villeneuve is adding another high-profile talent to an already loaded cast, as sources tell Deadline. Uh, so this part, actually, you may not have heard, because I know I may have kind of thrown it out casually at one point, but with our mm. stops and starts and breaks, I don't know if we ever got the actual news on this part of it for okay. the casting, because they've actually casted... There have been rumors for a while, and I think they've officially announced the casting of several of the major roles for part two. So this mm. is going to be a follow-up to that. Christopher Walken is set to play the Emperor. That's um, the, the Padisha Emperor Shaddam Fourth of... Uh, of Dune. He's the guy who's in charge of everything <clears throat> who set up the whole chess game between the two major Atreides and Harkonnen families in the first movie. What? He's playing that guy? Yes. Did we not see that guy? No, the Emperor was not physically on the screen in the first... They talked about him. Was he on the screen in the original one? Yes. Um, okay. What's his All name? Right. Um, Ferrer. The, I'm realizing the I'm... Jose remembering Ferrer? the scene, yeah. but I can't. It's 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 kind of fuzzy, you know. Like I'm watching it through static. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> in, the, in the older movie, <laughs> in the original movie, there's a scene with the emperor early on in the movie, and you don't see him again, and then he's on screen a bunch at the end of the movie. Hmm. Um, in this one, they talked about him a bunch. He's the one who set all of those events yeah. in motion, but they never actually showed him. We never heard him anything like that. Uh, they just waited to cast him for this movie. Um, so he won't really... Again, he still probably won't get much screen time until the end of the, the second movie. So Christopher mm. Walken's going to be playing that same role as... I think it's. I think it was Jose Ferrer. But I could be wrong. So I listened to stories about worms and spies. <laughs> well, it's perfect because we've already seen him... We've already seen him play this role in Balls of Fury, right? He was uh, <laughs> He was basically... He was basically this character in Balls of Fury. And he cracked oh, me up my in that. God. 
Uh, admittedly, he's 15 years older now, but uh, he's he's set to play the Emperor in Dune Part 2. He joins the All-Star Ensemble. He's stage three. So, I don't know if you noticed this about Christopher Walken, but he doesn't age year to year. He ages in, in, in layers and tears? There's tears, and he's in the third tier. <laughs> he's been there for a while, too. Yeah. He hasn't been on a screen. He hasn't been on screen a ton in the last few years. Watch um, Severance. Yeah, I know he's in that, but I, I haven't got around to it yet. Still, um, Walken joins the All Star Ensemble that includes Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, Zendaya, and uh, Josh Brolin, who are expected to reprise their roles, as well as Florence Pugh and Austin Butler, who were also recently announced. So those are the other two major casting news that we've got. Florence Pugh is going to play the Emperor's daughter, Princess Irulan, who. In the book, Dune was the person who was basically recounting the events of all of it because mm. the Emperor had a bunch of children and she never had too much interest in the politics and the power, like as far as ascending to the throne herself. But she was a historian and she was very fascinated by the events themselves and recounting them and to, pros- to posterity, essentially. So Florence mm-hmm. Pugh is going to play that role. Um, and Austin Butler is going to play um, Fade Rautha Harkonnen, uh, Baron Harkonnen's uh, adopted nephew, who he's grooming to be his successor. That was the okay. Sting character in the original movie. St- who is this? Austin Butler. So Butler. the only thing I've seen him in was that terrible MTV show, The Shannara Chronicles, which was based on the book series, The Shannara Chronicles. He played like the lead in that show. Oh, Tex in Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Nope, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And he plays Elvis in that. Was he Tex? I didn't. I don't think I realized that was him. Yeah. Cool. So I've seen him in two things. I didn't even realize. Am that was I? Him. Am I crazy? Wasn't there somebody else casted to play Fade at some point? There were some rumblings and rumors, and you know, people speculating or people like fan casting is what they wanted, but. Hmm. He was the only one I ever saw rumored. He is the one. Him and him and Florence Pugh were rumored for a long time, and it ended up being so that that was the direction who they were going. I, who I was convinced it was somebody already. Yeah. Oh, he was also in the Arrow TV series. I didn't watch that, so. He um, was in a handful of episodes. Huh. I'll be damned. So uh, production is expected to start in the fall, with the film set to air in on October 20th of 2023. October 20th. Okay. Cool. Cool. So we got some time. Yeah. This is a cool casting. That's I like fun. it. I dig it. Yeah, you need I, someone I with it. a little bit of a different personality. Based on his character in the book, uh, uh, Christopher Walken, I would say, is a little bit more, tends to be a little campier and cartoonier than I expect the Emperor mm-hmm. to be. Uh, that being said, he can absolutely play it straight if he wishes. And that character like was a very militaristic, no-nonsense type of character. Clever, but not super... I wouldn't say super charismatic and cart. Well, I wouldn't say cartoonish. Maybe charismatic in his own way, but very like staunch and stoic type of mm. guy. He's the whole, you know, the the Sardaukar, the um, the super soldiers that he has at his disposal. Yeah, he wasn't one of them, but he aspired to that way of life. So he keeps that sort of militaristic um, way, you know, cool. very uh, serious about everything. Nice. I um, I am a fan. Florence Pugh, I think that tremendous actor, and I'm curious to see her in more things, so seeing her in this will be awesome. Yeah, I hadn't really thought much about her one way or the other, but I enjoyed her in Black Widow, and 
Did you watch I, Little Women? No, I didn't see that one, and no. I didn't see Midsommar, and I know that's really her big watch, standout performance. Watch Little Women, because that was the one, I think that was like the first time I was like aware of her, and it's a it's a performance. I forgot she was in that. That is actually one that I kind of want to see, but it's just been on the back burner. Yeah, I think we were supposed to do it at one point, like a lifetime ago. Yes, like, when we were doing Oscar movies, I think. That would make sense, yes. And we just didn't get to it. No. We talked about it like numerous times. Specifically around the season. Yeah. No, it was, it's, it's, it's on me. That one's on me. Cool. Nice. All right. Moving on to the next topic. Let's go with a keg of Chardonnay. <laughs> okay. So I know everyone enjoyed the uh, weekly full cast updates. And while they are still on hiatus, I still follow the guys and gals on, uh, on Twitter. And they still provide entertainment in that format. And so I'm going to read an exchange on Twitter from the other day in which uh, a woman named Carolyn Darney, I believe she used to be, I don't know if she was editor in chief, but she was one of the editors at SB nation. And like most of them worked there writing about college football and stuff. So this is how she knows the full cast people. And so she reached out to Holly Anderson said, do you want to go to a game together? Showed um, it was like the schedule announcement for Virginia football and looked like, fun and stuff like that and so uh oh sorry it was she must be a virginia fan and she they're playing they were announcing a specific game against tennessee volunteers holly is a volunteers fan so she was asking if she wanted to go to a game with her and holly was laughing at the video that she sorry, their team name is the volunteers well it's the university of tennessee they are the volunteers yes we'll play <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know the origin of that one college football names are we need a team <laughs> Yeah, they're often a lot different than pro teams. Not to say that pro teams are better. (laughs) Yeah, sorry, I'm done. You can no, it's okay. okay. I know you're not a big college football fan, but uh, I, I, um, uh, University of Tennessee is one of the big schools, like just generally in the country. And so I figured maybe at some point you might have stumbled across the fact that like all of their sports teams are the Volunteers. So, Um, okay, fair enough. Um, (laughs) So anyway. Someone else interjected and, and said something about let's have a party or a tailgate at someone else from a different podcast who's like in their friend group's house. And um, so Carolyn Darney again went back to into this thread and invited Ryan Nanny, also of the full cast, and said, will you bring the seltzers? And he responded, this feels more like a keg of Chardonnay occasion. Nice. And she said, who am I to say no to that? And he goes, this is not a thing I made up. And he linked to a website in which you can buy a keg of Chardonnay. Fabulous. Uh, this was on <clears throat> Bridge Lane Wine, and there is a literal keg oh my God. of wine. So uh, I'm going to read this it page. It's Bridge, Bridge Lane. Lane Chardonnay. In parentheses next to it, it says keg. Now in our new keg style. You won't find oak or vanilla notes on this Chardonnay, this steel fermented wine displays bright aromas of stone fruit and green apple. <laughs> Any anti oak palate will love the fresh finish, lingering minerality, and subtle earthy edge. 88 points on wine enthusiast. Contents 19.5 liters, which is the equivalent of 26 bottles of wine. Jesus. So, in case you were wondering, Wait, you can how? tap a keg of wine. It's only $280? Um, yeah, I guess so. That doesn't seem like much. That's actually pretty crazy expensive for a keg of alcohol. Is it? For a keg of wine? Assuming this is... Do you have 
Do you have other kegs of wine to compare this against? (laughs) No, but you can compare it to a keg of beer, and, like, a keg of, like, decent beer is, like, half that. Hmm. Okay. I was actually just having this conversation the other day with my boss, who was, I guess he just got a super cheap, like, kegerator slash cooler situation, Mm -hmm. and he was asking about, like, because it could have, like, up to, like, four taps on it or whatever. He's like, I'm not going to do four, at least not to start. He goes, but I might do two. He's like, I was thinking about, you know, getting something, I guess, you know, his, like, go-to, if I'm just going to drink a beer, is, like, Miller or whatever. No. And I was like, yeah, well, listen. (laughs) You don't deserve the keg. That's all it sort of comes down to. (laughs) I know. I know. And he's like, uh, you know, that's, he's like, because, you know, he's like, I I know someone who works at a beer distributor. Probably get it to me for pretty cheap, you know, like 80 bucks or something like that. I was like, yeah, that sounds about right. It's like, but like, you know, he was asking me about decent beers. Like, I don't, I know, like a few years ago, we bought uh, like a keg of like Blue Moon or Shock Top, one of those type of beers, and it was like 140 bucks. So, how how long is that good? Beer or wine? Beer. <laughs> um, if it's in a cooler on a kegerator, like an actual kegerator, I think it can last like up to a month. Really? I think so. Huh. I mean, it would never be it would never be good for me because it would just it would it would so much of it would go to waste. But um. So okay, I'm looking at I'm looking at this one, the wine one. It says once tapped, stays fresh one to two days with a party pump. But that you know that's like the one that you get. Yeah. For like yeah. A, but two, up to two months on in a wine kegerator. Okay. What does the term kegerator actually mean? Well, I think it's a portmanteau. Um, I think it's supposed to be like. An aerator, but also for a keg or something like that. I don't know. I'm not. Is it just a it. fridge? It's a fridge that has the tap hookup and like the CO2 yeah. or whatever to the force. I think it takes four CO2 to to uh, dispense it. Carbonated. So I don't think you what? typically store it carbonated. I th- oh, think it's stored under pressure, but not pre-carbonated and like so you you have a co2 tank attached to it i think to force carbonate it i'm not 100 percent sure. okay but what about when it's a party keg i yeah i'm not 100 percent sure how it works because like i know i've never kegged beer i've read into it a little bit but it's been some years and i didn't really spend a lot of time retaining that information because it didn't apply to me um so i like there is going to be some carbonation mm. there because there's always going to be some yeast left alive and it's under pressure. Like you, you pressurize it, you know what I mean? Right. But like that carbonation goes away within a couple of days, I think. Oh, like that's you're right. Portmanteau of keg and refrigerator. Yeah. Oh, refrigerator. Yeah. Whatever. Same thing. Yeah. Same right. thing. Yes. Cool. But really, <laughs> this was bothering me about the term is that it's just the fridge because the keg is put into it. Yeah, but it's the, the specific point is it's not just a refrigerator. It's got internally the, the tap that you hook up got to the that then dispenses it on a pull tap at the top. So. I feel like I should convert my uh, my amp, my Marshall amp refrigerator into a kegerator. And like it should be like the neck of a guitar that you. Play. It would be awesome, but it would be a tremendous amount of work. <laughs> <laughs> I would lose interest in that project relatively quickly. <laughs> yeah, but, probably best to just buy a kegerator. Um, okay, I'm going to do neither. How about that? I'm just going to. They buy do have in a can. They do have the mini ones, though. You know, like the mini draft kegs that you like. They have like so, kegerators for that. I yes, 
uh, there's a picture of me floating around the internet from some, I don't know, 15 years ago. Uh, about four in the morning, no, five in the morning, carrying two Heineken mini kegs out of a party. Nice. In a track jacket and an <laughs> elves hat. <laughs> Important details. <laughs> it was a, uh, it was a night. It was fun. We had a good time. And if you're not a big fan of Heineken, because honestly, I'm not the hugest fan of Heineken. No, I'm pretty sure that Newcastle does. They do. I have seen that in the store. And if I were to get one of those, that would be the way I would go. That seems like a reasonable option. I should get that for my sister for her birthday. She's a a fan of the Newcastle. Really? Interesting. But yeah, I I figured I needed to share the... Newcastle kind of guy. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I needed to share the story of the keg of Chardonnay. I dig it. I think that's cool. I, I... a keg of wine is a thing. Just I, when I went on that site, they have, they're like, we, it's like, it seems like they sell their wine in keg, box, or can. Pretty much everything about a bottle is what it looked like. But then I saw that there were bottles somewhere else on the site. <laughs> Fuck you and your conventions. We don't bottle our wine. We do everything but. We'll deliver actually, it to you in Ziploc bags. No, they, they serve it in, <laughs> they sell it in one of those pouches. You know, those like, those old, like the satchel pouch. It's like kind of a, it's got like a wide bottom and you unscrew the top and you can drink out of it in the desert. You have this in the desert. Oh, yes. Yeah. Although I had one of those growing up. That reminded me, though, what would be even better would be if they just sold Camelback inserts and you could just <laughs> stick it into a camera. <laughs> it's like, it's like prepackaged and you just connect to the, like the straw. Yeah, the it. same way that yeah. the keg attaches to the kegerator. No. A, a one use. A one-use Camelback Capri insert. Sun. We're going <laughs> just full-on pouch wine. Pouch wine. <laughs> that would be good, too, for a single use, but I'm thinking if you're like on a long hike, you want to get fucked up and die because yeah. you're going to get lost on the trail, yeah. just slap one of these bad boys into your Camelback. You That's the end. Do you want to get fucked up and die? <laughs> Take one of our Camelback wine pouches. <laughs> Um, there's that thing that I was talking about though. It's like a satchel type crossbody strap, and there's a pat. Is that called something? You know, you know what I'm, I'm sh- talking about, right? I'm sure it is. Uh, it's like the thing in in Lord of the Rings when they're like climbing Mount Doom and they're yes. the thing. Yeah, yeah I know what you're so, talking about. I just don't know what it's called. I had one of these from the old country, and uh, is that an <laughs> island? <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, it was a, a family member gave it to me as a gift when they went when they came back from Italy. And uh, <laughs> yes, and I used to. I, I was a kid when I had it, and I I would fill it up with water and I would just drink out of it on random days. It was I, it was just like a, such a novel little thing. I don't oh, know. Absolutely. So strange. Dominic has multiple drinking horns, like three of them. That's that's excessive. Well, Surely I gave him, one drinking horn is enough. <laughs> one would think. I got him like a pretty big size one for his birthday a few years ago. Right. Then I he, recall that. Then he bought like a little one that was like on like, not a keychain, but like on like a strap. So like you could like wear it and yes. then like pour a little bit of beer or a shot into it for a sip. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I think he just bought a third one not that long ago Man. that like has like a made for it like rack so that you could like put it down and it won't spill. <laughs> I've had a, I've had beer in a glass that required an apparatus to put it down. It was a good beer. It came with an even better cupcake. 
that is a there's so much to unpack in that sentence. <laughs> it was this place in the city called Sweet Revenge, and it they did they. Did. How does this keep the layers? They go deeper, which is perfect because I'm pretty sure today was the anniversary of Shrek releasing. So, oh, amazing! They did um, how many years is that? Twenty one. They did. It was cupcake and beer pairings. That was <laughs> what they did. Oh, and Speaking of cupcake a, and beer pairings, yeah. total sidebar here to your sidebar. I sure. drank I drank that I'll take Samoa of that earlier tonight. Mm. It tastes like Samoa. And when you talk about beer and cupcake pairings, a beer that tastes like a Girl Scout cookie feels like it's within that realm. Did, did I give you that Samoa one? Yes. Didn't you? I don't even know where that came from. It definitely did taste like a Samoa. That was you gave me that like grouping of beers. One of them was Kim. I drank Kim a few weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> Your wife was really proud of discovering that beer with her name on it, and then yeah, handing it out to so people. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then when she had it, she was like, "It's fine." <laughs> it, it was pretty good. Um, I had there was another one that was in that four pack. I drank the other day. I think I have one left. I drank the Samoa one. But continue on with your pairings of cupcakes and beers. I mean, there's really not much else to say, except for the cupcake was delicious. It was like some vanilla on vanilla, just awesomeness. And then the beer was in this long, it's like, it was a bulb, like just a perfect sphere at the bottom and a long neck. And it came to like a funnel top. It almost looked like one of those party drinks that you would have in like Vegas. Okay. But you can't put it down because the bottom is perfectly round. And (laughs) it came with like this, like carved wooden apparatus that, held the glass so that you could take the glass out of it, have a sip, and then put it back into that. So it was like a laboratory vial that has one of those like long neck holders that like Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was big. Jeez. It was big. That place I'm pretty sure was closed. Now so this pairing thing doesn't measure up to the gold standard, which is and I'm sorry to do this to you for a second time tonight, but it doesn't measure up to the pairing that was the salted nut roll with the salted nut roll beer. You're you're a son of a. I'm sorry. It, it was topical. I didn't shoehorn this in. Um, it's hard to say because the I don't know if it's recency bias or just the fact that the salt and nut roll was fucking amazing. But <laughs> that that was better. Okay. You can have that one. What do we do in the shadows? Sorry, I lost the tab for a minute. Uh, so this was the other day, and what we do. In the Shadow Season 4, release date set for July. Oh. July 12th, to be specific. What a treat. Yes, as always. Um, let me skip through some... I'm so excited. Not important details, because it's just bio stuff on the show. The Season 3 finale ended on quite the cliffhanger. Spoiler alert for Season 3 of what we do in the Shadows, but if you haven't watched at this point, we don't care. Um, <clears throat> with Nandor, Guillermo, and Nadja leaving Staten Island to go their separate ways... <laughs> Guillermo, for his part, is a stowaway on a ship with Nadja after Laszlo packed him into a crate with a few cookies as a snack. And Laszlo, separated from his long-term lover Nadja, decides to stay and raise a respawn baby version of the recently molted energy vampire Colin. (laughs) The newest season will see the group reunited, each returning to their house in Staten Island, which is in a state of complete and total disrepair. With no money to repair their house, the group will have to come up with a way of fixing their creepy manor. Season 4 will see Nandor's search for love continue. Nadja will look to open a vampire club, a long-time dream of hers. Laszlo okay. will struggle to raise baby Colin, and Guillermo will find himself on an emotional journey that helps him to realize his love for his family and for others. Season 4 <laughs> will feature such terrifying locations as a secret supernatural night market, 
the Jersey Pine Barrens and a wedding altar. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I love that show. I'm so excited for it to come back. I got spoiled from having all three seasons at my disposal when I initially watched it. Yes. Um. Oh, no. no Did I watch two. the third one while you it was on? Have... Yeah, we were watching it during. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, because I got ahead of you on that. Yes, you finished the third season okay. before me, yes. Um, yeah. <clears throat> season four premieres Tuesday, July 12th at 10 p.m. On FX, the first two episodes will air on the night of the premiere. Episodes will also be available to stream on Hulu the day after airing. Um, I love that. We, uh, it, it's interesting to choose to do an episode set in the Jersey Pine Barrens, considering one of the most famous episodes of television of all time on one of the most famous shows of all time, The Sopranos. It's titled Pine Barrens. It takes place in the Pine Barrens. To try to outdo that. Yes, to try to outdo that perfectly okay episode of television. I think they'll do fine. Oh, I do think it's slightly overhyped. But it was pretty great. And I'm just saying, what is considered such a tremendous episode? You know, to take that there's You know there's some some relation to it in this episode that's going to happen. It'd be great if they cast in the episode the Russian guy. Because that's become one of the great mythological things in show history. Like one of those what 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 ifs or, you know, what actually uh, happened, like cliffhanger type of things. No one knows what happened to the Russian. People speculate he died, he survived, whatever. It would be tremendous if they cast that guy. Is he there? They just find him? Yeah. He's a vampire. Oh. <laughs> it would be perfect if he was a vampire. He'll be some sort of creature. That that seems like where they may go. I, I hope to God it is. <laughs> Oh man, that's kind of cool. I didn't realize it was so like, it, like that. I love when this happens. Something like that has sprung on me, and it's coming soon. I guess it makes sense. It was about a year ago, right? I don't know. I it doesn't feel like all concept of time. It doesn't feel like that long ago, but it, it had to have been about a year ago. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, we've gotten so the last couple of weeks, um, a night here and there. I've been playing uh, Halo multiplayer with some coworkers. Yeah, I've and, missed out uh, the last two times you invited me. I feel bad about that. That's all good. We'll, we'll, we'll get it together at one point. And uh, it's it's starting to become a little bit more regular when something ridiculous happens out of nowhere that somebody on the team will be like, fucking guy. <laughs> 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 and it just makes everything all better. <laughs> yeah, I don't really have anyone else in my life that I can do that around. Like, the reference is going to go over. It would work for Gianna, but like, still, how many times does like anyone have the ability to just use that video gaming would be yep. the place to just use that in the wild. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the Icelandic fish festival. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is good. So this was a thread on Twitter that I found the other day, yesterday specifically. Um, it's from Seamus O'Reilly, who seems to be an author from Ireland or Northern Ireland, maybe more specifically. She's so hooligan. <laughs> so, when I was seven, my teacher told us to write an article about world cultures for school over the weekend. I remembered it late on Sunday, so in a panic, I made up something called, quote, Icelandic Fish Festival, figuring the t- said teacher wouldn't know either way. Amazing. S- Sister Veronica was one of my favorite teachers. She was, and I'm going to, I've never heard this word, see this word, whatever. I'm going to probably butcher it. I'm going to do my best to pronounce it phonetically, even though I know that that is a fool's errand when it comes to Irish. She was a Glaswegian nun who wore a leg brace due to a childhood bout of polio 
would tell us all about it. She was funny and kind and always encouraged me writing things. This kind of homework would have been very usual for her. I wasn't going to let her down, so I stayed up all night making sure the essay <coughs> delivered on the premise. <laughs> As it got later and later, it became a bit more unhinged. Filled with asides and personal reportage. I believe I quoted, <laughs> quote, the king of Iceland, unquote, as if he had spoken to me personally. <laughs> Remember, this is a seven-year-old. <laughs> uh... Can't remember a lot about the Icelandic Fish Festival itself, but I said it lasted four months and involved everyone eating and dressing as fish. Some of it was written present tense. Was I at the festival? Did I go every year? Who's to say? This was eight pages long. <laughs> the next morning... I woke up with pen on my face and gathered the sheets of my report like an architect in a rom-com and readied myself to present it. Surely the finest report to cross her desk all year. In the event, Sister Veronica seemed utterly bemused when I handed it in for two main reasons. Yes, this was a completely insane report about a very clearly made-up festival delivered with the breathless cheeriness of a segment on A Place in the Sun. Uh, I imagine that is something that resonates with people from Ireland. It does not resonate with me. I don't know what that reference is. Continuing on. But it was worse than that. The second, in fact, the literal atomic instant that I handed it to her, I realized she had not asked us to write this at all. I had dreamed that she had. Oh my god. Yes! Yes! (laughs) That's so good! So I had just written and presented this breezy eight-page memorandum on the Icelandic Fish Festival for absolutely no reason. Wow. Not knowing what else to do, she smiled and said she'd read it out loud to the whole class. <laughs> I said, please, no, don't. <laughs> but she did. And even they, a room full of Northern Irish seven-year-olds, so genetically sarcastic as to be basically evil, seemed genuinely worried for my mental state. <laughs> for 30 straight years, about once a month, I have thought about that kindly nun delivering, that. delivering the line, quote, boy, those Icelanders... Love their fish, quote, in a halting Glaswegian monotone to a room of silent, horrified concern. Enjoy the rest of your day. (laughs) That's amazing. I love So this reminds me of two things. First, um, my dad used to tell us stories when he was a kid in Italy, and, like, he was a bad student. (laughs) I I feel like I remember him telling me one of those stories, and it involved him not doing his homework and then jumping out of a window to escape from being beaten. He was supposed to do, uh, like a, a like a book report. It was like an oral book report on. No, it was a book report on Attila the Hun. Okay. Okay, and he didn't do it, but they were supposed to like read it slash recite it to the class. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he got up and went for it. <laughs> Just. It- <laughs> And, and, like, fully just made up an entire story, um, to which the nun was not thrilled and went after him. And he was like, I'm not getting hit today. And he jumped out the window. (laughs) (laughs) It's just wonderful. I just love that story so much. And the other one was, I was just thinking while you were talking about that, like, do you remember book reports? Yes. There are some things that I think about, like, every once in a while, like, a fleeting memory (laughs) just took of of something in school and I just go, ah, I'm glad I don't, I'm not in school anymore. <laughs> I, I feel like that, that dawns on me like maybe like two to three times a week. Um, I, I prefer, I prefer this adult lifestyle. However, book reports, I recall specifically doing a book report on the first Harry Potter. Okay. Okay. 
And I was pretty proud of how what I wrote. It was like a you had to do like a summary and explain certain plot points, things like that. And I did it, and I was happy with it. And I was excited about what I wrote, so I asked my mom to read it. Mm-hmm. And thinking about this now, it's like if you really think about the ridiculousness of the end of that movie about a turban unveiling and another person's face being on the back of that face. Is she was like, I feel like I missed something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so she hadn't read the book or no. seen the movie at that point. Well, the movies weren't out. Okay, so it was before. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's just, I was like, this is pretty great. I like as like thinking I like in the like back then I didn't understand like what was so like yeah like that's what happened. I don't understand what you're asking me. But now thinking about it as an adult, like looking back, how ridiculous would that have looked <laughs> if I were to like paraphrase the ending of this book I mean listen Luckily, it's, it's, a, it's a movie about a school of witches and wizards like so sure like, anything literally could happen I think I mean luckily I'm sure like a bunch of other kids were doing it on that book too so it wouldn't have gone over the teacher's head um yeah. if they all wrote the same ridiculous <laughs> ending <laughs> I mean it's funny because that's one of the handful of like chapters in the book you know i i read through the series more than one time so Mm -hmm. like as a kid so there's a handful of chapters from the books that like i remember the name of the chapters and that chapter in the book was the man with two faces yeah it was very literal and very Mm self-explanatory you couldn't possibly be confused by what was going on there was a helpful icon too there was a helpful little little icon that was a man with two faces on it (laughs) one of them in the front one of them in the back yeah that's ridiculous. Uh, I really enjoyed that Icelandic fish festival story. <laughs> Poker face. Mm. This is a fun one. So, last week, I was driving down New... I think it's New York. Yeah, New York Route 52, which is near-ish to where I live. It's not that far. I've never really named the town, and I don't plan on doing it on the podcast. But I've talked about living in the Newburgh area, so you can kind of figure out that I'm in that general vicinity of Orange County. Um, I was driving down it the other day for work because I do work in a couple of towns at the very northmost point of Orange County. And I'm driving down the road and I see, you know, those like highway signs, like the digital highway signs that like yeah. they put up for slightly more detail than just like road closed or whatever. Yep. And I remember the verbiage on it being slightly odd. It was something along the lines of starting May Friday, May 13th, highway closed intermittently or something like that what (laughs) usually it's like expect road work overnight or like road closed between 9 a.m and 4 p.m or whatever not good luck this road might be closed sometimes (laughs) maybe it's here maybe it's not and like also to get on this highway maybe fuck you (laughs) yeah yeah and like not even and, and nothing at all about why so whatever i guess so i kind of put it out of sight out of mind and a couple of days later, my driver who works in that area is like, hey, by the way, when you come down through there to go back to Newburgh, like later in the day, um, the road might be closed until like three o'clock. It's like, oh, yeah, I saw that sign. What's that all about? And he goes, oh, like they're shooting a movie. And I was like, what? Oh, he goes, yeah. I was like, oh, and it clicked for me that sometime like earlier before I th- it might have been the day i'd seen the sign first actually we're driving by and there was this little building on the road that says 
like Orange County Brewery or something like that. And I was like, I've always meant to look into it. It's never open when I drive by it during like normal days during the week. Sure. So I just kind of don't think to look into it. And I was, I had driven by and it said something like Boyle's Barbecue. I was like, oh, I guess they sold in this little barbecue shack now, whatever. So I'm coming back that day, like four o'clock, which is an hour after the road was supposed to be closed to. And I see they're still like stopping traffic, but letting it through very slowly. Mm-hmm. And I see there's all these tents set up behind this place and a couple of like coach buses. I was like, oh shit, that, that didn't sell. They just rented out this place to shoot there. And they put up the signage for whatever it is they're shooting. Mm. So I did some digging online to find out what it was that was shooting there. And I'm 99% sure that I found the right thing. And it's Poker Face. The Stephanie Sue joins N- Natasha Leon, Ryan Johnson Peacock series. So Ryan Johnson is shooting a show like 20 minutes or so from where I live. Oh, cool. Um, Stephanie Sue, the marvelous Miss Maisel, has been cast opposite Natasha Leon and Joseph Gordon-Levitt in Peacock's Poker Face, a mystery drama series from Ryan Johnson. His T-Street banner and MRC television. Details of her role as well as plot details of the series are being kept under wraps. This marks the first TV sh- series for Knives Out and Star Wars filmmaker Johnson, who is the creator, writer, and director of Poker Face and will also executive produce alongside T-Street partner Ram Bergman and the company's television president, Nina Rodriguez. Leon will also play... Sorry, will also serve as an executive producer via her animal p- pictures. The companies Maya Rudolph and Daniel Renfrew Behrens will co-executive produce. Uh, so cool. Stephanie Sue is also in that movie that everyone's been buzzing about everything everywhere all at once from a 24, which mm-hmm. I very much would like to see. And I have not got around to yet. Yep. Um, uh, and as I mentioned already, she's on the marvelous Ms. Maisel. So I guess you're probably already familiar with her. Yeah. She plays May Lynn, mm-hmm. a provocative love, love interest to Midge's strange husband, Joel. Uh, that show is really good. You should, you should definitely watch that at some point. Yeah, uh, like yeah, I said, that, I've that is... for some Ryan Johnson action. Yeah, now I just got to find a way to watch that because I'm probably not going to sign up for Peacock just for it. But I would like to see that show. Sure. I'm, I'm intrigued. It's cool to see Joseph Gordon-Levitt uh, continuing to work with Ryan Johnson. Um, there's, I think, a couple of other people. In, I know I wonder I why the, the cast. It's this one episode. Uh, maybe it's just because no details are released. Or maybe they're just shooting the pilot right now. I don't know. Well, look, Natasha Leone has 10 episodes and everybody else on the cast list, it says one. So maybe it's just like a weird billing thing where they might not be in every episode. They Well, no, they do that a lot with a television show that actually hasn't come out yet or in a season mm-hmm. that hasn't come out yet. It's like if there's one true lead, like everyone else who is like co-stars, sometimes it's one episode until the show actually drops. Maybe I've noticed that in the past before being confused by that. AJ Brody, Benjamin Bat- Bratt. Kevin yes. Francis, Patrick Klein. Yeah, Brody and, David and Brad are the ones I noticed, yeah. Capri Carter, Rebecca Ross Bailey. Those are the top cast. Cool. But yeah, they, they like booked out this brewery for like two weeks or something like that to, to shoot there. So I don't know how much of the show is taking place there or, or whatever. I mean, I know television shooting can take a while, but that still seemed surprising. Because I was looking up, I was like, oh shit, like if this is still like a, an actual brewery, I'll have to go because it's not terribly far from where I live. Yeah. And it, I think it's cool because it's like the brewery at Orange County Hops. I guess they, it's like a farm where they grow hops and then they use them to make beers. They buy all the stuff locally, which 
like the black dirt region in Orange County in New York is some of the most fertile like farmland that you will find in this country, supposedly. They grow a ton of barley there that's sold to New York breweries and I'm sure elsewhere as well. So mm. it's cool. It's all the stuff is locally sourced and everything. So nice. Uh, I want to check that out one of these weekends. But they're booked through until like the first weekend of June right. for filming. So you know. I always I always found it so cool like when I worked, well, actually, a lot of it was when I was in, in college, but um, in some of the different areas where I worked in the city, they were just like, there's like, I feel like there's just like always one to three movies being shot in the general vicinity. <laughs> and yeah, it was always cool to like to stumble upon like, oh, like spotting an actor or somebody like, like about ready to do, shoot a scene or something like that. And um, I think I, I probably mentioned it on the show before, but there's one particular day we were going out to lunch and there was like five of us or so we went down the elevator, went out the door and immediately we were all very concerned and confused because there was a whole bunch of people on the sidewalk standing perfectly still. <laughs> and we're like, what the happening? Uh, and then we just kept moving because in the city, you just keep moving. And <laughs> we got up to the other side of the street, and I guess it was when they called action, and they all started moving at once, and it's like that was weird. <laughs> it, just, it was very uncomfortable. It was uh, it was person of interest. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. My parents watched. Oh, on the left side of the building was uh, Caviezel. Oh, yeah. I I know that they've already shot a lot of stuff in the Hudson Valley in recent years. Specifically, HBO does a lot of stuff up here, I guess. Yeah. Um, and. There's like one film studio in Newburgh and another one I think opened up last year. It was it used to be a, uh, a huge catering hall that I used to work at when I was valet um, that I think they opened as another film studio of some sorts. Um, and then there's another one, I think, in like the Kingston Saugerties area. Hmm. And I'm sure there must be one or two of them across the river as well. So um there's a lot of stuff that's made around here, especially for television, I think. Cool. That's fun. Uh, you got trailers on yes. this list. If you'll notice, did not go in order. <laughs> yes, you broke it up at the end. I appreciate that. Well, I tried to yeah, when I gave you the list, I tried to give you like something fun, something news, something fun, something news. <laughs> something good, something good. <laughs> yes. Um so yeah, we we had some trailers come out in the past couple of days. I sent one to you yesterday. It was the trailer for She Hulk. What did you think about it? <laughs> I it I don't know. <laughs> I, I was I was like, this is fine. This is fun. This is weird. This is weird. <laughs> it's weird. I'm uh, I'm alright with it. Yeah, I'm I'm intrigued because they're. It does seem like they're trying to tell a very different story. I mean, watching a superhero who is mostly a lawyer and not Daredevil, like who's doing both separately, yeah. but rather together, like not Just hiding. Quick, who quick she aside. Is. There, I had I had um, No Way Home on the other day in the background, and the scene where he where Murdoch catches the brick coming through the window and. <laughs> Peter goes, how did you do that? And he responds, I'm a really good lawyer. It's fantastic. It just, it just gets me. I love that. that I is, love how stupid great. that is. And just the 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 head tilts and the eyebrow raise that Peter gives him is so good. It's incredibly, anyway. it's incredibly dumb, and I'm incredibly envious that you watched it recently because I have desperately wanted to rewatch that movie and have oh, not got so good. to it yet because I don't feel like renting it. But um, be that as it may, um, 
I'm definitely intrigued by the concept of the show, just trying to take a wild yeah. swing for something totally different. I think that's cool. I will say that I and many other people are concerned because some of that CGI was bad. Oh, real bad. Bad. Yeah. And it's like, no, if you're going to do this, you can't, it can't be that bad. Like there's been some choppy stuff we've talked about in some of the other series that they've come out with, but for the most part, it's been pretty good. There's been some stuff where it's like, eh, but it's like, I feel, I feel like Moon Knight's not great either. Some of it was really good. Some of it wasn't. Um, I thought most of like, well, specifically most of the Moon Knight specific things were good. A lot of the background shit wasn't, but like sure. when Moon Knight, you know, the titular character was on screen he, and like you focused on him. Him, it felt like uh, too smooth. That's like, I feel like that's the, the hallmark of bad CG. Yes, but I think they discovered a new one and it's, choppy and cheap looking <laughs> for yeah. this trailer um that's my point is like yeah okay it was obvious that the moon knight was cgi in the vast majority of scenes but at least it looked fine this didn't really yeah. and i don't know what it was i saw some people speculate maybe like if you compare him to or her to um like dr hulk or professor hulk whatever the fuck is they were naming his character in Endgame, um, mm-hmm. it's not Mark Ruffalo. Like Mark Ruffalo is in there somewhere, but like <laughs> it's the Hulk with yeah. a hint of Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. This was a clear merging of like Hulk-like characteristics with was it Tatiana Maslany who plays the mm-hmm. character, and it was really not great. <laughs> yes, yeah. I. I don't need, I don't even care. Like you are right, and it doesn't. The effects wise, it doesn't look. Uh, Your main character has to look good. If even if it suffers in other things in the background or in fight scenes, like the main character, if you're gonna go that all the time, has to look good. Yeah, and I I, I don't like I said for the, I I don't mind too much with regards to like the television show doing it. Like I would prefer that it looks good. I was more concerned with. Some of like the the silly things that were they were trying to do in the trailer, I was like, this is just cheesy. And you have to be more specific. The relationship, Ulf- the relationship dating stuff, it just seemed uh, really like. <laughs> it was a little funny. It was a little funny when she picks the dude up. It's just it, it was like it, it was that was funny, but like even there was like more than one scene of the dating in there, like with different people, like the speed dating thing, like, which maybe is a quick throwaway thing, and that's all it is. But, yeah, um, if it's part of a montage or like really part of cheesy. one episode, I think you can get away with it. But to, to have that much in the trailer, I think would probably make one concern that it's going to be a big focus of the show. Yeah. My guess is that's probably not the case, though. Yeah. They're just trying to show like, the funny side, maybe. Yeah. But uh, I appreciate them trying to take a swing on we're doing something dramatically different. Like, yeah, like go, go for it. Like, I'm going to watch it. Um, yeah. Similar to uh, Moon Knight, I think that. I mean, I've I've only watched a handful of episodes from Moon Knight. I haven't finished it yet, but like I'll, I am like really when I have the time, like I will watch it. Like I'm not going to be itching to go through the whole thing. Well, it's kind of where I'm at with I, I still haven't watched any of um, Hawkeye show. That was, you know, what it was. I think that was the show though that made it clear to me that I don't need to be on top of this. Yeah, but I enjoyed Moon Moon Knight. It was it was a good solid show. Oh. I ended up enjoying parts of um, 
of Hawkeye, uh, specifically Lalo's character, which I can't remember his name in Hawkeye, but <laughs> Lalo from Better Call Saul. Um, isn't it Tony Dalton? Tony Dalton, yes. He was a. Uh, <laughs> I I need you. I I brought this up in the past. There is a big twist <laughs> around his character in Hawkeye that I need you to watch it just so that we can discuss it. <laughs> it's probably still going to be a couple months from now because there's too much there's too much we television just, right now. I'm, I, I just I'm, need you to remember to ask me about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there was something about it's a big being, twist in my eyes. Well, I, was saying, I remember you saying something about it being a huge twist that you're like everyone else probably like this isn't a twist, and for some reason for me it was a huge twist. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, it was so good. All right. Well, yeah, this one. So, when does the was it August? When is the date for this? I think it's in August. Yes. So, well, yeah, that's that's. I mean, it's just cool. It's cool to have shows coming up on the horizon to watch. It's just funny, like these shows are all in the same realm, like the same category. They're all Disney Plus shows, as Loki, which was like, holy shit, <laughs> and that's that is part of the problem. Is both from quality perspective and like. CGI on that show was pretty excellent. And considering there's yeah. a lot of sequences that were extremely CGI dependent, watching scenes where it's like a regular ass room with one CGI character in it, your main character, you can't have that look like shit when you could do entire sequences that were CGI in Loki show. And it looked yeah. as good as the movies. They got to get those, those folks in there that fix Sonic's teeth. <laughs> I'll turn the I'll turn that shit around for you. Or uh, honestly, even the people who fix Ben Affleck's teeth, I'm fine with that too. <laughs> Maybe what about the people that did the mustache? CGI. It's more instead of having they have the oh, people God. that did the mustache. No, that's, that's who they. That's, that's why it looks this way. <laughs> you ever watch? There's a great uh, like YouTube uh, channel. I can't remember the channel name. I wish I could, um, but they like visual effects artists and like professionals watching and like just shitting on on things that are happening in other movies and then also like you know celebrating other things that they're impressed by yeah that's uh it's it's really fun there's one they do one with um stunt doubles and like action like uh like the the folks that like rig up the action sequences and mm. like the things that they find like amazing like oh they think they did this so good and then like break it down for you like everything that they did to make it happen and it's just it's really fun to watch no, I haven't seen that, but it does sound like that would be entertaining. Another silly thing, unrelated to to movies, but in our general wheelhouse, um, it's devs reacting to speed runs of video games. <laughs> <laughs> I can just me. picture them. That's not how. That's no. Why are no. you doing this? No. But didn't you notice game. that character? How much time we spent on like no. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's fun stuff. I never understood the speedrunning thing. Like, I understand it in, like, a racing game, obviously. Or, like, even, like, the speedrunners who do, like, Super Mario Brothers. Like, any platformer thing. Like, that yeah. makes sense to me. But people who, like, speedrun actual games, it's like, no, why? Like, there's like an story-driven like games. Because there's, like, some really cool and interesting things that they do to shave time off. And... Yeah, it's kind of like it's like a weird niche like artistry thing. Like there's there are some really impressive things that I've seen and I always love watching the videos of when somebody discovers like a new glitch that lets you get 
like when they don't realize that it's going to happen and it happens and like, Oh, I'm going to have the top speed <laughs> for the, for this run because I'm the first person that uncovered this thing. Sure. But then you see that people like speed run, like, like mass effect or like Skyrim. And it's like, mm-hmm. that, the point of that game is not to just be over with it. You're supposed to stop and look at the flowers, metaphorically speaking. Sure. But from a technical aspect, it is pretty impressive. Once you've once you've played the game and you love it and you've adored, like they're finding another thing to do with it. Sure, that's that's fine. I I just it feels like even though the point of it is to do it in less time, the less time still feels like a waste of it. Sure, I am not going to do it, but I think it's kind of cool to watch them. Mm. Uh, what that wait? Did we? Was there another trailer? There was another trailer that you didn't watch because you didn't finish. But I'll just briefly touch on it. The Trailer for season three of The Boys came out yesterday. Um, It's what you expect a trailer of The Boys to look like. (laughs) There was was blood, there was cursing, there was guts, there was... Billy Joel. Terrible people doing terrible things to each other. There was some new interesting uh, things introduced to this. uh, Namely, and this isn't too much of a spoiler, but um, someone finds that there is some sort of pill or serum that could be taken that will not turn you into a soup permanently the way that the soups had done to them with the compound V or whatever the fuck it was, mm-hmm. but it can turn you into a superhero for one day. Hmm. And that starts to level, level the playing field kind of sort of maybe. And so that's going to lead to some interesting stuff. Um, there is definitely a new paradigm that exists. Obviously the second season started, I know you didn't finish the second season, but I know you started it. The second season started with them all on the run and hiding yep. from everyone Third season, there's some sort of federal bureau for the overseeing and such and so on in an investigation of superheroes, and the boys are kind of being a part of that and all, so uh, it seems like there's kind of a cold war going on now. Instead of, you know, actively hunting them and all, there's an uneasy truce that is oh, sure that to, cool. to explode probably soon <laughs> in that season, nice. so... Um, on the end of def- the first episode. Also, it seems like the introduction of another major character in that whole universe, Soldier Boy, uh, is going to show up. I forget who it was who was casting that, but it's someone vaguely famous. It's a name I know. I don't someone who's who vaguely now. famous. I like. It's that. a name I recognize. I don't remember who it was now, though. Let's so, see if I could pull it up here. I'm sure it'll come right up. It's so- whoever's playing Soldier Boy. I'm going about this the wrong way. That's why I gave you the character's name again. Just search Soldier yeah. Boy casting. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be other people uh, as well. But. Uh, 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 no, I do not want the cast and crew of Soldier Boy 2019 film. The voice Jensen Ackles. Yes, him. Who is that? I know that. Yeah, that's kind of how I went with it. Didn't he? Wait, wasn't he the voice of Batman in that year one movie? Oh, that we Yes. I'm, I'm sure that's not his most famous role, but for us specifically. No, wasn't he like, isn't he on like 700 seasons of Supernatural? I, Is that a thing? He could well have I think been. The I same didn't person? watch that show. Yeah, 2005 to 2020. That show still was going to 2020? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I knew it was on for a long time. I didn't know it was on that long. <laughs> yeah. I feel like if I need a CW thing to sink my teeth in, that's, that's the one. Oh, man. So him, yeah, he's he was also on Smallville. Be... Is he just on all? He's yeah, he's on all the C- every CW thing. He just shows up at some point or another. Well, Whether a he's a main character, what'd you say? 
there's, so there's a lot of actors and actresses who do a lot of work for yeah. a network. Like, what's his name? The guy who played Jerry on uh, The Walking Dead. He's on yes. multiple AMC shows. He was on. He was a, a recurring character on Holt and Catch Fire. I think he might have been in another one too. Ah, oh, Jerry. Jerry's great. Sweet. Is that it for news and nuggets? I think so. Let me just double check here real quick. That is all I had for news and nuggets. Wow. Time for some consumption. I am consuming a handful of things. But uh, why don't you kick us off? What are you consuming? Well, I'll start off with the simplest of the things. As I was walking down here, I was consuming a leftover slice of pizza from making some homemade pizza the other day. And... Made a few pizzas. We had some some friends over, and uh, we made some of the ones actually that that you and I have made for the Oscars. We reprised some of those. Me and my dad made a little hot sausage, and we swapped actually the cherry peppers for Italian long hot peppers. Nice. Um, I, I liked how he made this one because he cooked, you know, pre cooked obviously the sausage, sautéed it a little bit with the, the the peppers, threw that on top of the the pie, and then the cheese on so like mm-hmm. it was just like a quick fresh melt of the cheese on over the top of it you know fresh mozzarella obviously nice. um you know kind of a classic uh, margarita type of pie and then the uh prosciutto and arugula um with the balsamic glaze do a little honey on the sausage and hot long hot pepper so i just grabbed a slice of that on the way down here they were all delightful pizzas nice. from the other day so man i love pizza i, pizza. I actually had pizza today nice delicious uh so, as lately I've been realizing that I there's something missing. Um, I used to have movies on all the time. I would throw them on the background. Like, I would watch... I would probably watch three to four movies a week just by either in passing or like even sitting down at the end of the day and putting one on. And I haven't been doing it for a long time. So, what I started to do is I found this nice corner on my counter that I could prop up the iPad and mm-hmm. put a movie on while I'm making dinner. Okay. Um, because the way that the days go, I don't even really start making dinner until like seven thirty, eight o'clock. Um, and I can't believe how late you guys eat. I thought I ate yeah, late. Well, um, have a child, and then, <laughs> so I, I find that I like to I have to find this way of doing multiple things at the same time that I still want to do. So I have a uh, I started like oh let me just throw movies on now specifically. Movies that I've seen before, I'm not putting a yes. new movie on because I'm barely looking at the screen. It's mostly audio Correct. and like, you know, the occasional pause and look or like wait for something that's simmering and watch. But uh, I finished, I watched all of Pitch Perfect and I'm on to the second one. And man, the first Pitch Perfect may like, it may be like a top 10. Wow. It's so good. I love every minute of that movie. I think it's so funny. I think the characters have incredible chemistry. And there's two, there's the hosts of like the collegiate acapella championship, whatever. One of them is Elizabeth Banks and the other is, um, oh, I can't remember his name. Who's it? Something Higgins? John Michael Higgins? Is that what it is? That, I don't remember. Michael Higgins? Something like that? Maybe. That's. He's got three names. Doesn't he? I was just going to pull, pull it up real and quick. And one of them is Higgins. <laughs> so you know who I'm talking about then? Yes. The is guy who me? says he's the one who delivers the medium to heavy treason line. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And he just like 
the two of them announcing over the thing and like the like the lines that they have like throughout like the just in the background while things are going on are just fantastic and like there are so many it's that movie is joke after joke after joke and then just really awesome mashups of songs and it's perfect it's pitch perfect i love it (laughs) stupid (laughs) also it was like i think that may have been my first introduction to ben platt who i adore and he is so funny in that movie as this like quirky, awkward magician kid in college. <laughs> yeah. I forgot gr- he was in that. There's a great scene where his roommate goes, a spot just opened up. It's yours if you want it, but you can't be weird. What do you mean? And then like a pigeon flies out from behind him and he goes, I understand. <laughs> but, uh, oh man, it, we haven't, we didn't do that movie. Did we? No, I've never seen that whole movie. My my sister liked those movies, um, okay. so I've I've seen bits of all three of them, but not enough to really coherently figure out which one was which, gotcha. and all that all kind of jumbles together for me. I did look them up. It is John Michael Higgins. Um, the, cool. The first I, two I, are excellent. The third one's not so great. It does seem like it has quite a, an impressive cast. Um, all three of them, I guess. Um, mm. I'm not opposed to it. It's funny that one does seem to have been. I definitely, when it came out, I was like, oh, like that seems like a movie that's kind of stereotypically <clears throat> like aimed at like a younger, like more female audience or whatever. And I've heard that it is definitely a cross boundary, if such a boundary exists, type of appeal that mm-hmm. guys, girls, and any, at all points in between seem to love that movie. So I'm not opposed to giving it a shot at one point. It's just not uh, really like high up on my list of I think I want to watch it with you. Okay. Because it's a fun movie to watch with people. Okay. There's just so, there's so many, there's, it's a, you know how like you watch a good comedy or a good drama, like there's ones that resonate with you, not specifically because the movie was great or anything, but like there's like, it's got great moments in it. Actually, the movie that we're going to talk about today has some pretty great just like moments. Mm -hmm. Um, This movie is like moment after moment after moment. They all like, they're all awesome. And it's like, it has no business being as good as it is for like what it, like for a movie that is about acapella championships. Now, did Elizabeth Banks direct the first one? Because I know she directed and like made hmm. those movies, but yeah, she may- maybe she only wrote the first one. I forget. But I think she took. I don't remember over directing the second and third, or just the let third. Me, maybe let me take a peek here on the old IMDb. Um, she did not direct it. Did she write it? Or just she did not it? write it. Uh, I don't know why I thought she was like directly involved. She in the first one. was a producer, I guess. Maybe okay. I, don't know. I knew she was involved with like the making of the movies, but I think I, I am wondering. I think, she, I think maybe I she th- directed the third one. I think she. I don't know if it was for the second one or third one. But I know she took over at some point. Let's see, uh, she did direct the second one, which is excellent. Okay. <laughs> it's uh, the the they they take it worldwide in the second one. Okay, and they have to go up against the German acapella group. <laughs> Das Sound Machine. <laughs> of course. It's just wonderful. I love it so much. And uh, David Cross makes a guest appearance in the second one, and you'll love that. Well, it sounds like there was a million cameos. Oh, there's a lot of cameos, for sure. I'm pretty sure there's football players in one of them, right? The, the Green Bay Packers are 100% in the second one. Oh, movie. it's just the Packers? Okay. <laughs> I, was say, I, re- I definitely remember Clay Matthews being in it. <laughs> oh, man. That's good. So I think so. I saw like the trailer when that was coming out. I was like, "Is that fucking Clay Matthews in that?" <laughs> <laughs> what What else are you consuming? 
So um, I don't want to get into it in too much detail, obviously, at this point, but I went to see Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Ah, I'm so jealous. <laughs> um, so obviously we'll save that for whenever you can get to it. We'll, we'll do an episode on it. It'll be a, a big deal. This is a, a big release, obviously, in, uh, in the MCU. And um, I'll try not to go too deep on this, but uh, it's good. Yeah. It. Uh, uh, it is as strange, pun intended, as advertised. Um, it's definitely a Sam Raimi movie. Uh, mm-hmm. It, and I don't think they really actually leaned into this too much in the trailer, but they finally go for a lot of the horror stuff that one might expect that you could do in a Doctor Strange movie. There sure. is one sequence in the middle of the movie that straight up plays like an 80s slasher. Ooh. You know, it's it's a Terminator, it's a Michael Myers, it's a Jason, you know, where it's yeah, just, yeah. there is an unkillable force that is mowing people down. Mowing awesome. them down. Chasing the leads. It's, it's an interesting sequence. There's some weird as shit trippy stuff with the multiverse and the magic, obviously, as one should expect. They really finally lean into a lot of that stuff. Um, it's, it's good. It's well, it's well acted. It's, I think it was a really good combination of, uh, director and writer. The writer is Michael Waldron who created and, and did the Loki show. He was mm. really good fit for this movie. Uh, it's not perfect. It's messy at times. There's sure. some stuff that's like, okay, that was a choice. And sometimes those choices are good. Some choices. So some of them are bad. Some of them are just part of the whole, you know, smorgasbord of this movie, but this movie took a swing in a way that a lot of them didn't. This is very clearly a movie made by a specific director, which we don't see very often in the MCU. Mm-hmm. Probably the first time we've seen that really since Thor Ragnarok, where that was very sure. clearly Taika Waititi making a movie that not just any director could make. Same thing with this one. Not just any director could have made this movie, for better or worse. Cool. That's awesome. I'm really pumped. I've been so excited to see it. I just, you know, obviously I haven't got a chance to it yet, but. Uh, do you have a number for me? Do you want me to give you the number? Yeah. Okay. I would probably go in the eight or so range. Cool. Cool. That's really, where that's really... where my guess would have been to yeah. begin with. So this is probably. I have to sit down and crank out the rankings again, but I feel pretty comfortable off the cuff slotting it in top ten. Cool. Um, and that's you exciting. know, and it, it could. It, there's even a chance again. Like, yeah, I'd have to really sit down and work at it, but maybe see it again before I committed to it, but there's even a chance it could sneak up to almost like to five or whatever. It's really good. Nice. Nice. Oh man. I'm pumped. I am also really pumped for love and thunder. Yes. Ugh. Also, there are so many people in this movie as, as you might expect considering it's an MCU movie. They've been moving more and more towards like expanding the cast of characters involved in it. And mm-hmm. without giving anything away, they make use of the whole multiverse thing. There's some faces that you're not going to expect to see that you're going to see. Faces that you cool. already know. Cool. Which is cool. Well, I know there's some voices that I'm anticipating, so we'll see. And that trailer, as much as we all kind of were like, oh, why would you give that away? That's just dipping the toe. Okay, cool. Um, that's, there's I have faces, a theory of where some of this is going to go. There's faces that are reprising the role that we would expect to still be around. There's faces that'll surprise you coming back around. Cool. Some of the whole idea of multiverse recontextualizing a handful of people and different things. They 
that some of that was really cool. It's like if you're gonna do this, do it. Do and it. they they did. And, and like oh, they dipped their toes in a, in a handful of ways, but there's one specific sequence where they really lean into it and like let explore the space for a little while. And that one is really cool. Oh man. Ugh, I want to see it right now. <laughs> uh. It's good, man. It's it I know it's tough, but you gotta make the time and, and get I'll, to it, it's good. Yeah, I'll get to it. Uh Friday, I got the opportunity to see something fairly unique. What's that? Star Wars A New Hope. Okay. In concert. Oh. So my sister got me tickets for my birthday and what it was was at the Count Basie Theater in Red Bank, and they did. It was like the New Jersey Orchestra. Um, they're all on stage, and there's a screen, projector screen above them, and they are playing the movie without the music track. Sound effects and vocals are there, but the music is all live. Oh wow! And it was pretty cool. Uh, and from the from the moment it kicks off, where they even do the fanfare of the opening, like title cards, like that are not Star Wars related, <laughs> so that was that was pretty awesome. Uh, so like, for just like, what was what I found interesting about it was that it's you kind of get like those movies are so captivating. I love Star Wars that like I would kind of forget that I was listening to it live, like when it was at, because I was just basically turned to me watching the movie on the big screen for the first time. Because I've never seen a new hope on a big screen, mm-hmm. so that was kind of cool too. Um, but it was just it was it, it was it was pretty cool. And they did a little advertisement of some of the other ones they do. They're going to do like some. There's like a couple Harry Potter movies that they're going to do. Um, yeah, I was going to say as soon as you said like the new or- the New Jersey like orchestra, my my mom had sent like me and my brother and sister something about like the first Harry Potter. I didn't realize it was a movie though. I thought they were just like playing the music. So hmm. that might be kind of cool too. Similar idea, John Williams score. Um, yeah, so that, that, that is kind of, that sounds like a cool idea. Yeah, it was, it it was pretty cool. There was all, you know, there are a bunch of people that were there dressed up and this one guy completely nailed the Luke and Return of the Jedi outfit, like full black with the flap open with the light, the the gray on the flap. He had the green lightsaber and his hair, the glove, his hair was perfect. (laughs) Like, oh, he even had the mole. And it, I, I'm certain it wasn't real. <laughs> it was, it was effort, is what it was. Could you imagine if he just looked in the mirror one day? He's like, I need to make use of this mole. I'm gonna be Luke Skywalker. I'll be Luke Skywalker. Mm-hmm. That was fun. So, uh, and also, it was kind of cool to see, like, you know, everybody, like, you go if you're going to that, you love Star Wars, right? Yeah. And the house was packed. It was like full. So, what was really cool with like the moments in the movie. That like, you know, when you see Avengers for the first time and people like cheer at different things, like these are people that have seen the movie a thousand times like myself, but you're like cheering for certain things. Hello there. Big cheer. <laughs> the lightsabers powering up. Big cheer. Like it's just great moments. Chewbacca roaring. For some reason, enormous cheer. <laughs> it, was just, it was just great. I love it so much. I'm thinking of like, just like, like the drops in that movie when like the music kicks in not when it's like just like a big fanfare specifically one of my favorite drops in the in the star wars series is when ben gets killed he sacrificed himself and luke screams no and the music swells out of nowhere into that action scene that must have been 
great yeah, with them it was, playing it, it live. It was. That it's it is it's impressive. I um did not realize there was so much harp. I don't think I'd be able to pick <laughs> that out on a, <laughs> normally, but like I couldn't take my eyes off the fact that like I like one, I don't I'm really s- know what a harp sounds like in conjunction with everything else. I don't yeah, you like only ever hear it on its own. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm so, sorry. I'm just picturing. I'm, I'm sorry to, to interrupt, but you're just like I didn't picture there being so much harp or whatever. And I'm thinking of the stupid uh, "Don't Fear the Reaper" thing with Will Ferrell the, playing the. the I'm, just picturing, I'm just picturing instead of a camel, this person rocking out on the harp in the yeah. middle of the. <laughs> well, there there is like you know whole sequences where she's just plucking away. I'm like, huh. Didn't see I'm just, that coming. I'm just picturing someone furiously harping. But so what I I kept finding myself looking over to see like when is this instrument in play? And then sure enough, like something's going on and she's they not even sitting there anymore. And I'm like, okay, so she's just taking a break because there's like there's no harp. I can't imagine like I guess there's just no harp in this part of the of the score. And like I you kind of see her rush back, sit down, pluck, and then leave again. And I was just like, wait. <laughs> You had a note. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Uh, but it was Could you imagine you just wander off? Eh. Oh, shit, the harp part. Ding. I don't understand. So um, I just don't fully know how orchestras work. But the amount of people playing the same instrument. Yes. I don't really. Is that just for volume? Especially like when they're making a the same exact it, yes. moves? Okay. Okay. And then what is... What is the conductor really doing? Because I don't see them look up at him at all. Well, I think by the time you've been doing that for that long, it becomes less and less. I think the conductor is as important in like the practicing as it is in the execution. Mm-hmm. But I imagine that their eyes are kind of going down to the sheet music and up to him periodically. Because yeah. the point is... I know he keeps like the tempo. Keeping the, the tempo. And it's also like, you know... Letting you know the exact moment. Okay, the horns haven't been playing now. You know, yeah, that's why, I, like, as they're going, they're doing the tempo, doing the tempo, doing the tempo, and then you'll see them reach to, like, whatever thing. And it's like, you know, or, you know, you'll see them do the thing where they're, like, bringing the hands up in waves, and it's, you know, you're supposed to be starting soft, and now yeah. you're, you're, you're increasing te- or volume or decreasing volume as it quieting down, and you're fading out a section while the rest of them are still playing. Yeah, I assume. Yeah, so I'm guessing like in the actual performance that it is mostly about timing, and yes. I can I can imagine being like, I don't know, the guy on like the timpani drums in the back who only hits them like three times during like the course of the next forty minutes. Like you're gonna lose count of the rests, yes. right? So I, I assume you are, unless you're really that good. I don't know. I well, I think the point is you should. I've done it before, it, and I've lost count of the rests. <laughs> so. it, 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 it happens, especially when you're not. It's much easier to keep the count when you're actively participating than when you no longer have to while someone else is or what other section is going. So yeah. that's a big part of it. But I, honestly, I think the majority of the conductor's work is done in the practice. It's getting. I, everyone to know those things so that you aren't even necessary. Then you're just there as a safeguard. I think at that point, I was curious too about how they timed it so well. And I'm assuming that he had some sort of clock up front. Oh, I'm sure he must've had some sort of dial where like, you know, at 45 and 32 seconds, we're going to start 
the yeah. loving theme or whatever. Well, you know yeah, what I mean? but like, like just to, yeah, just the, like, if you really think about like the Star Wars logo pops on the screen and the music starts immediately, right? Like mm-hmm. to t- like it was timed perfectly. And yeah, it's, like, Hey, there's, there's damn. five seconds of lead time before the title card is going to show up. It's yeah. Click one, two, three, four. Bang, you know? <laughs> that, that was also very exciting. Um, yeah, there's better music in empire, but, uh, it was good. It was good. Well, the whole point was they 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 built a very excellent foundation in the first one, yeah. and then they expounded upon it. Yeah, right. Like because like the Imperial March wasn't even in the original movie, and then he added that to Empire. It's like, oh fuck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh man, what a great. Uh, you know what's interesting too? I think about watching. So I've seen the OG trilogy a lot. Like when I was younger, I watched it time and time again. I still, the version of it in my head is the original version of it, though. Every time I watch it and I spot the, like, you know, the newer, well, the 90s, the newer scenes from the 90s where they did, like, I don't know, some atmosphere stuff on the planet and they did, like, the better lasers or, like, like the the additional effects that they added. For example, yeah, like the, it's Sar- funny the Sarlacc I, bit in Jedi. I would say, I know I watched the original three a bunch between the ages of, like, Four and seven. Yeah. And then I spent the next 15 years watching the absolute shit out of the 97 re-release. So that's the version that is in my head. And obviously they've recut it another like two times since then. Yeah. Well, this is one of those things where like our two, I think like that two age, two year difference ends up resulting in like random pieces that are slightly off. Like that's like, like the original ones. So I... The first ones that I actually owned were the '90s re-release with the with the updated effects. Um, but prior to that, we had the video store near the pizzeria that we would rent movies from constantly, and I would. And that's how I, how I watched them. We, we we we. I used to have my dad rent them a few times a year, and he's like, "Why do I keep re-renting these? We're just gonna go buy it." And then yeah. the '97 release came out, and he bought the box set on like yes. you know, it, with the golden sleeve yes, of the, the VHS. Gold. And the gold, I watched, the gold was the widescreen, right? Um, the gold. One of them was widescreen. There was gold and silver. One was wide. One was. Um, I'm pretty sure the gold was full screen because we definitely full? didn't own a widescreen until much later. So I think they, I, I believe those VHS tapes are still at my parents' house. I should grab them and put them. Well, on the was shelf. the silver one a VHS one or did, was that a DVD yeah. one? Because no, it was, was VHS. Okay, I was wondering if they re-released it on DVD because DVD wasn't a. Th- thing yet no at that point so it was not well we definitely had the gold no, sleeve i think it was full screen i'm 95 percent sure it was full screen and i want to watch i have it there's a, i do have a vhs player um in the other room too I do i watch anytime watch i got sick i was watching those movies dude like, i watched so like yeah that i i would always i would watch i watched them over and over again but i remember the i think one of the first movies that I like bought with my own money. Maybe not one of the first ones. One of the earlier ones that I bought with my own was the Phantom Menace VHS. And mm-hmm. I remember like I I pre-ordered it at like Saturday Matinee. It was like the 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 store in the mall that's that sold movies and um got it and I was I had put that I that weirdly enough the Phantom Menace may be the Star Wars movie that I have seen the most. It's funny because it's the one I've seen the least and it's because it was one of the last few movies I bought on VHS. 
because that yeah, what the movie came out in ninety nine, that VHS came out in what probably Christmas of ninety nine or, yeah. or early two thousand. And so that was one of the last five VHSs we bought before we started buying only DVDs. Yeah. We had the joint DVD VHS player in that time. Sure. So I know I watched it some for the next couple of years, but by the time like 2005 came around, I really didn't watch that movie for like several years wow. after that because after a certain point, it started going to like it would be on television. Specifically, I don't remember we talked several years back with the TNT, but yep. they always play that like eight o'clock in the morning on Saturday. I'm not awake then. So <laughs> I would always like, I'd come down for breakfast. You know, my dad would make breakfast on Saturday morning. It's like 930. And so it's like the last five minutes of Fifth Menace is on. <laughs> and then it goes straight into Attack of the Clones. So I've seen that a million times and, um, and episode three a million times and all of the original trilogy a million times. But really, I've only seen all of phantom menace like one time in the past like eight years and for like for like weeks on end i would come home from school do my home and do my homework and put it on in the bed like mm-hmm. so like i had it on all the time and then i would put it on again when i went to sleep so <laughs> like i've seen that movie a lot a lot and i love I, I i do love it i do well i said you know this too shall pass with all of the annoyance that people have with seven eight nine mm. We all collectively tend to, by and large, if not hate the, the prequel trilogy, we don't really respect the quality of it overall. Yeah. I more or less hate watch episodes one and two. I laugh at them. I watch them to openly mock them. Mm. But I still watch them. And mm. I don't, like, I get enjoyment from my experience, even though it's me overly melodramatically saying, I don't like sand. <laughs> Like, I'm, yeah. like, giggling and saying that line while I'm watching it. You know, it's, you know, Misa Jar Jar Binks bullshit. Like, you know, it's, like, laughing. Like, there's I still enjoyment way. to be derived from it, even though the movies aren't very good. I feel that way about the about episode two, but I, I, I think I really do like the first one. I know, I recognize that it's flo- that it's bad. Like, I recognize there's, there are, like, there's mistakes. However... It's not as quotably bad as episode no, two. There no, are some really bad lines in episode two. I also have the, like, I could draw on the memory of, like, oh my god, they're doing it. It's coming back. They're going to make three more movies. Like, and I and I got that twice in my life already, which is amazing, yeah. right? Like, when, when it was announced that it was happening, I was blown away. And I, like, I remember, like, trying to get my hands on every little piece of information that I could about it. And, like... What are they going to do? Like there were like um, theories about ultimately what they'll do with Vader, uh, and like and how he'll become deformed. And I was like reading every just everything, and I just it was just such an like a a moment in time, like when it was when it came out, and I just I loved it so much. And then I remember feeling the exact same way when Episode Seven came about because it wasn't. It wasn't a prequel leading up to the thing we know it was a successor to it. And I thought that was so cool and exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I love me some Star Wars. What else are you consuming? Um, So did you watch this week's Better Call Saul? I sure did. This is like the one thing I'm I'm successfully executing on watching live or close enough to live because I have them set up to record. So I I think it's been airing Tuesday night. Well, no, like I think it's been airing at like nine o'clock on Monday, and I'll sit down at like nine thirty so oh, that nice. I can just 
watch it all without any, like I'll just pick up the recording from there and just be able to fast forward through any of the commercials and just go and have it done by 1015 or whatever it is on yeah. Monday night and then be able to go to bed at a decent hour, you know, and, and cause you know, Monday and Tuesday really try and be good about going to sleep at a decent time because obviously we're up super late Wednesday doing this. Um, and then I know I'm going to be a zombie for Thursday, you know, and then yeah. I can have my weekend and I don't have to worry about anything or whatever. I can just do whatever, keep whatever hours I want through the weekend. Um, but I, I've, I've really enjoyed being able to stick with that. Whereas other shows, like I still have only watched the first episode of the season of Barry. There's been like four or five that have come out. Um, I still haven't been able to pick up Halo again. Hmm. Uh, I've caught a little bits and pieces here and there of like, the most recent season of family guy. Cause it's easy to throw that on for 25 minutes or whatever, but better call Saul is the only thing I'm actually keeping up on the season started off a bit slow as they tend to. Um, but it's been pretty riveting even when there's not a lot going on because it's like, well, fuck there's so much that's about to be going on. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, Man, it is. It's so good. It's got yes. me. It's just got me. And like, I'm so enthralled in what I'm watching that I'll like snap too close to the end of the episode and go, oh no, it's about to end. And then it ends and I'm like, no! Like I need one more, give me one more episode. Just one more. (laughs) And I I promise I won't ask for another one. (laughs) And sure enough, there isn't ever another one. Well, and the tempo has really picked up the last two weeks. Um, It's starting to finally feel like we're heading towards something or some things there's one more episode to the mid before the mid season break uh, next week, and yeah. um, I'm curious. I'm already seeing some heavy speculation as to how that's going to be tackled. We've they've really done a good job of keeping it all under wraps. There's people wondering whether the big Howard confrontation is going to happen in the next episode. Mm. If we might not get some, I, I've even seen some speculation that we might get resolution on the main timeline, and the back half might be. Like post. a lot of, yeah. So like fallout and like post Breaking Bad stuff. I have a theory that I'm going to share with you. If you're not, if you don't want any, if you haven't, if you're not up to date on Better Call Saul, um, which, which by the time this probably, episode airs, <laughs> yeah, who knows? But uh, we're, we're at the time of this recording, we're one episode out from the midseason finale. Um, no, we are. The next episode is the midseason finale, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway. Uh, you could skip ahead to the next chapter if you like, in the, but if you don't want to hear any about this. But here's my theory. Uh, a bunch of pieces felt like they were coming together for me in the last episode without me like real, even like really looking for them. Um, they just like started to, I just started to pick up on a few things. And I don't know if this is how it's going to go because they, they, they do pepper the stuff in intentionally throughout. But we've all been wondering, what's Kim's fate? Mm-hmm. Right? Like what's going to happen? Um, there have been a lot of hints and a lot of nods and points at the vacuum cleaner guy. Well, there was a oh, big one this past week. This been a lot past more. one was a big one, but there there were, I think there were two or three other things that happened like in previous episodes that I was like, oh, I remember it. like this, that thing. There's like this guy out here in this part of town, like I, that. And like, they were like, it was kind of in your face in the little black book. This, um, this last episode, there was the, also, the, the yeah. card. I, I did have a moment too when that happened because Robert Forster obviously died right after El Camino, or it was like the, was it like the it day was, it dropped? I think it was like the day it dropped, yeah. Which sucks because he was really, you know, a good actor and he was he was good in that role, and it would have been cool to see him one more time. Yeah. 
So what I was curious about was like, one, okay, is something, whatever they're about to do, we know now by the end of this episode, they're going to execute it, but it's something's not going to go right because it's no longer following the plan. Yes. Right. So Although they've already managed to scoot past that a couple of times along the way. They did, but they're, they're, they're playing Eventually with fire. Eventually it's going to catch up to them. Yeah, yes. exactly. So like, I'm wondering, and specifically, like, Kim, like that was an important, you know, obviously we talked about last season, as I had been saying, it's, it, this seems more about Kim's Breaking Bad, and I think yes. this season's kind of revealed. It's not so much about her Breaking Bad as about giving back in to mm-hmm. a certain way of life. Like in the same way, like her, I think her her journey has really mirrored Jimmy's, where it was someone who didn't necessarily live the best lifestyle, have the best inspiration early on, who tried to go legit and ultimately figured out they preferred it the other way. Mm-hmm. But she's had honestly even more than Jimmy a lot of chances to totally leave that behind her, right? Like she's in the way that Jimmy hasn't. She's been given a clean slate. Mm-hmm. That she performed well at and has actively sabotaged, as opposed to you can almost, and I say almost, forgive Jimmy with how much the deck has been stacked against him by his brother, by his former employer, by the people around him, his situations around him. She has truly only herself to blame. And here she has a chance to just go and chase what it is that she says she wants, which it it isn't just saying like she's been doing it. She has yeah. seemed genuinely fulfilled in what she's been doing, helping underprivileged people. Like that's not like, Oh, Hey, yeah, I'm making a lot of money. And that's great. And all the way she had in the past, like, yeah, even like the Mesa Verity stuff, like she seemed fulfilled in that for a time, but you could always tell eventually that was going to stack up against her. We haven't seen that yet. We haven't seen the thing that has made her, we've seen her continue to be better and better at it without any of the seemingly doubts that she had, Miss Verde or any of the other stuff. Mm-hmm. And she still makes this choice. And yeah. so that's and like probably... Her and Jimmy are two sides of the same coin. Like, one has the opportunity and one doesn't. But ultimately, they're driven... They like... There is just... They both have that same thing. They want to do it. Well, I think we, we figured out at this point, right? They're the Spider-Man meme. They're, they're just pointing at each other, the same person. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, so that... So, my theory then, based on some... Is that, like, I do think that... Maybe it's not going to be as terrible as I initially thought, where... I was like convinced, like leading up to this season, like, oh, that character is probably going to die, like is how I just assumed. But now I'm more wondering, is that like something's going to go wrong? And we already know that there's ways out. Is she basically going to be erased and not be able to contact Jimmy or talk to him ever again? And he knows that, which would be a perfectly acceptable reason that her character name would never be mentioned by him in Breaking Bad. Now, I know they have to kind of retcon that, right? Because they didn't do this show beforehand. So, like, they like they have to they have to align it in such a way that it makes sense that he would never talk about her. And I think well, that, also, that is a good reason. To piggyback off of that, I don't remember... I was reading Alan Seppenwall's recap of this week's episode after watching it, and I don't remember if they had ever explicitly said it before, but she's from Nebraska. And that's where Gene was it Gene whatever it was Gene Kovac or something like that. Yeah. That's where he goes. He goes yeah. to Nebraska. Yeah. And so one wonders whether to like extrapolate on what you're saying. I well, wonder this is the she, next part of the theory if is, she takes the fall so that Jimmy can become the Saul Goodman he's always wanted to be because he obviously he wins in some way. If he loses, we don't see Saul Goodman in Better Call right. Saul. 
But that doesn't right. mean that they win. He might win, but she may have to take the fall. And I even wonder if if that sets her down a road that's like maybe not immediately, but if she has to go with the vacuum salesman because of Lalo still being on the board. Yeah, that's that. That may be it. The, and what I'm also thinking is we also we have strayed really far away from the future scenes for a while now. We haven't seen the black and white gene scenes in a minute. And I'm wondering. And the last we kind of knew, like there was like some guy that found him and kind of knows who he is and all this. And I, now I'm starting to piece together like, oh, I assume like it's like you know eventually something was going to catch up with him, or is it Kim? Did she find him? Like, was she is she out looking for him? Because it's entirely possible him. he put him. Well, uh, or even did he try and chase her there, not knowing where she is, but just hoping that he'd find her there, that she'd go right. back to her roots, and eventually they just happened to cross paths there. That would be really cool if the two of them like connect again at the end and get to live happily. <laughs> but I don't, I don't think that that's the show, but I just be, I'd be interested to see where it goes. I don't know. I could see it's maybe as fucked up as some of the situations that have led them to this. It's probably the healthiest relationship we've ever seen on the show. Yeah. They do truly love each other and support each other mm-hmm. in a way that no two characters, Walter and his wife didn't have it. Walter and Jesse didn't have it. Um, Gus, Mike, Nacho, Lalo, yeah. um, <clears throat> any you know Don Hector, none of them, you know, even even um, uh, what's it called, um, Hank and and uh, Marie, like Marie. even their Marie. even, <laughs> even their minerals. relationship, the, the minerals, Marie, like this this is the maybe healthiest isn't the right word considering they they pursuing a life of crime, but the truest relationship, mm-hmm. the most transparent relationship on the show. So I could see a scenario where there is a bittersweet happy ending where they won't get to be lawyers anymore. They won't get to yeah. chase their quote unquote dreams anymore. They may have to scrape and always have their an eye over their shoulder, but they can do it together. Yeah. I I could see that being the compromise where you don't get to be quote unquote happy, but you get to be together. And mm-hmm. that's all that that might be enough for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really curious to see how this all goes down. Um, man, that Lalo character. That's about the only regret I have for this season, this season so far is we haven't had enough Lalo doing Lalo things. I I think we have specifically because you can't overdo him. He's got to be like, when he's there, he's captivating. He's on like, you're like, I've got to know like where this is going. There's also some interesting... There's like this, like he, the confidence that he, that the character has in going into a dangerous situation. Like, it's like, dude, you're nuts. And it's, well, especially really fun his, to watch. especially like his psychopath smile and charm, where yep. like there are some characters who are utterly taken in by it and other mm-hmm. ones who immediately their radar is going off. Yeah. And it's like, I'm curious to see what it says about each of those characters because it's, you can't really say his performance has been any different in any of them. Right. So it, he's he is kind of like a Rorschach test for the people around him. Yeah, it re- it reveals more funny. about like Marguerite like was utterly unassuming when she met him, but then what's his name who from this past episode immediately knew something was wrong. Yeah, yeah, and he approached both of them just as charmingly and casually. God, he's so he's so funny like that. It's he's like a Joker. He's the Joker of the Breaking Bad universe. 
a little bit. Yeah, he is an agent of chaos for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I guess the, what I was the point I was making before that was like there was basically like a two episode stretch where he just wasn't in the episode. That's true. Yeah. Um, like when he's been in it, the last two episodes, I thought they've used him the perfect amount in them. I guess I just wish they use him that exact amount in the episodes prior to it. Yeah. I just love like his, he, he has a code. It's Ish. obscure, but it's there to a degree. And like trying to figure out what, trying to figure out what it is from scene to scene and pieces together is kind of fun too. It's such to tell because if ever there was going to be someone who fit the code of like, he probably shouldn't kill him. It would have been that guy in the bus terminal who we just killed the shit out of because he was in his way. But like, mm-hmm. he didn't really do anything to deserve that. Yeah, that that was interesting. Then what I did like was when he put the silencer on the gun uh, when the woman was walking upstairs, the sigh. He was like, I, he like didn't want yeah, to. Yeah, you could tell he didn't want to. Yeah, that was that was interesting. But he was prepared to do it. But when he also killed the the guys that were going to smuggle folks over the border and then made sure that everybody got their money back, that was the that was pretty cool too. I don't know. He's like he's so all over the place, but it's so interesting to try to piece them together. Yeah, well, I think he views himself a certain way and yeah. wants to be viewed a certain way, and it doesn't always add up. Um, and I think that that is when he's liable to break a bit, which sure. is you know why he kills those coyotes there. Um, but uh, yeah, he's another character, right? Where who even more so than Kim, I think you could have a pretty concrete idea that ultimately he's gonna lose, he's gonna mm-hmm. die because there's no way. Like Kim might have a big burnout meltdown situation but still have a way to move forward and survive i won't say like advance but survive right mm-hmm. lalo isn't gonna go retire somewhere under an assumed name he's all or nothing he's gonna win or he's gonna die yeah and we know he doesn't win right it's just a question of how and what what happens in the process too and does does he take anyone down with him yeah obviously we know people like gus and mike and Tyrus and Victor, like those guys are all going to survive. So he is the true wild card in regards to Kim as well, which is why I looped that back. Yeah. Considering their confrontation last season. The looming threat and Kim knowing that he's still out there, but not telling Jimmy is also interesting. And it seems like from a certain point of view, that might even hold true to better calls or to, to breaking bad. Right. Cause when, when, Walt and Jesse take him out into the desert. He says, you know, is this about Lalo? That wasn't me. That was Nacho. So it seems like he's still operating off of the fact that that raid was sent. He thinks that Lalo is dead there, but it's also possible he's playing dumb there, right? Sure. I am excited to see when they come into play and because they they announced they will be. um, Yes. So that'll be cool. Sweet. What else are you consuming? Um. So the only other thing I have is I finished Sword of Destiny. That's book two chronologically in the Witcher series. I started book three, The Blood of Elves. Um, so book two, about half-ish of it was stuff from like the end of the first season of mm. the show. I think they basically took a lot of those stories and just kind of reorganized the timeline of it because it doesn't really matter the timeline. The way that the first two books are written it's not really super chronological anyway more so the first book than the second book really um they kind of just take place as stories and points in time on on Geralt's um adventures although towards the end of that book they start 
honing in in the same way that the end of the first season did on merging him in series storyline. And that's ultimately how the second book ends is in the same way that the first season ended with them finally getting together after the battle battle of Sodden and all that. Yeah. And the start of the third book mirrors up pretty close to early parts of the second season where the two of them travel to Kaer Morin and Triss joins them to help figuring out what series is all about with her magical ability and all that. The, the details of that story already have changed pretty substantially in some ways, but the overarching theme and um, you know, 50,000 foot view of all of that is pretty similar. Um, it's just in, like the nitty gritty is like people attacking care more and stuff like that didn't really happen in the story. But other than that, it's all pretty much the same. Um, I'm only like three or four chapters in, but what I was kind of encouraged by is it's now getting, the story's getting much more linear at this point. Whereas okay. like, the first, like I said, it was kind of like moments in time. It was like, yeah. you know, snap, snapshots of an adventure in Geralt's life. Now it's kind of sort of, I mean, they jump around a, a couple of perspectives around the world a little bit, but it's with, like in the chapter where it's like kind of sort of these things are happening more or less concurrently. Right. So it's much more linear structure, even though there's some, flash forward and flash back and dream sequence stuff. It's a more traditionally structured narrative, which overall I would say I prefer that sure. style of storytelling. Than anyway, like just so. like the piecemeal type of, yeah. Yeah. I think that like there is a way that you can do that purposefully that can be interesting, but overall it's not my favorite. I, um, yeah, I would agree with that. I think it actually interestingly works in the, in the show because even though it's all over the place, you just have to rearrange the pieces. There is a whole, there is a there is a linear story there. It's just not presented to you that way. Whereas, like, yeah, the I feel like from what I remember of what I've read from the first book was not so much that you have to rearrange it because it is kind of like story one, story two, story three to kind of flesh out the character and and the world yeah. and the people. Which so. which that's obvious that those basically those two books is very heavy on establishing the lore, establishing the characters. These are what these people are all about. This is what this world is kind of all about. But it still felt like <laughs> it still it still felt like I was missing so much. Like there is so much more about the specifics of the politics of the, the different kingdoms and the magicians and all that in the show. Whereas you kind of just like, yeah, <laughs> you just kind of get nods to that in the books to this point. Um, and uh, it's only now just starting to delve a little more deeply into the specifics of all of that. So. Sweet. But I've been enjoying it. The third book's been really good too. I, the cool. <laughs> the interesting thing about the one that the copy I got, I I think I remember seeing it. I was just be like, oh yeah, I'll give that a shot. Why not? Is it's the book track edition where it has like kind of like you watching Star Wars with like the orchestra behind mm. you. Like there's like different music playing that kind of matches the theme of what's going on. Oh, that's cool. It it's it can be a little distracting at times, but it's also kind of really cool. Just kind of like sinking you into the moment and really like feeling like you're living in that situation. I, it's uh, kind of an interesting experience. I don't know if I'd like it for every book, but it's, it's been cool with this one. I've listened to uh, when I, back when I was going through all the Harry Potters again, I, um, I would listen to the soundtrack of that movie every once in a while of like the specific movie that corresponds to the book that I was reading, which for the most part works out well until like something really intense happens musically that is not happening in the book or something really <laughs> happen- lighthearted is happening in the music while something terrible is happening in the book. And you just kind of have to skip that track. <laughs> we'll come back to you later. <laughs> yeah. But fun. I have one more thing to go over here. And that is I picked Halo back up and watched two 
two or three more episodes since we last spoke about it. Um, I like a lot of what they're doing story-wise. Some of the more, I like that they're they're playing into some of the stuff that is lore from like the games and whatnot, which is cool. Um, some of the other choices that they've made that are that diverge, I'm not a huge fan of, but I'll see how they play out. Specifically, the integration of Cortana in his head that could that could have some cool implications as far as storytelling. So I'm okay with that one to see where it goes. I originally wasn't concerned with him taking his helmet off. I was like, who cares? Whatever, it's fine. Um, and now I'm starting to realize that I wish they never did it. Uh, <laughs> the reason being is like, especially in the last episode that I watched, he had his helmet on a lot during battles and preparing for something that was going on. Like, And the character is so iconic because he doesn't speak much. And when he does, it's like very specific. But you can always tell that he's thinking. And you can always tell that he's doing something or planning or plotting. And with a with that helmet that has no motion on it, like there's no like you can't see his eyes through it, you can't see anything. Like the character, like in the games, has you know, he'll give a head tilt or something, and it conveys the entire point to you. And there is something so eerie and cool about that that fits so well with everything else thematically in Halo that the show is lacking because it doesn't have that aspect of it. It had it for a, the moment where he had his helmet on, but they almost, they almost take his helmet off like comedically often. Like, <laughs> he, like he like will shoot somebody and the battle will be barely over helmets off helmets on to think about something helmets off. I have to think helmets off. Like uh, stop, just stop taking it on and off. Just stop it. <laughs> it's just driving me crazy. Anyway, um, I think the character speaks a little too much, and he's more. He sh- I feel like he should be more show. But that particular it's, it's, part of it is taking me out of like the is the is the one major misstep that I'm seeing so far. Where they're they're just not. It's not true to the character of Master Chief, as far as I'm concerned, and it bothers me. It's a tough balance to strike when it's the lead of your show. Like we've sure. seen, <clears throat> kind of the opposite end of this spectrum with the Mandalorian, where. In the first season, he never takes his helmet off, and he speaks some, and in some episodes, it feels like they hit that balance perfectly. There's other episodes where he barely speaks, it feels like. Mm-hmm. It's like, you have to talk to us occasionally if you are the lead of the show. Yeah, but even that, though, like they could have him talk a little bit more than he does in the games, but leave it on, there's some, because there's something about yeah, that's Master cool. Chief being ready to go all the time. Like, he is... And they, they're playing with it a little bit with him taking out like the thing that subdues his ability to basically have free will, and that makes sense. Like they want to show him having like a little bit more of emotion and like wanting to experience things. Like I get that, but it's still they're they they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. I feel like with the character like being like oh like he's deeper than we once thought, but there's actually something to it in the game where like Master Chief is. He is a human under there, but he's so engrossed in what he's doing and how he has to go about it and the mission that he is sometimes more of a machine than Cortana is. And I think that's what's cool. And that can't happen in this version of the storytelling. And I think that that's a core and central part of Master Chief and Cortana's relationship is that 
they are very similar because they're both kind of AI. Like in a way, because like like they're both like machines in in some capacity, even though now, one's actually I have a, a human. I have a question. Yeah. Can you understand what Cortana's saying in this show? Because I have found in replaying the series recently on our Tuesday night games that I can so rarely understand what the fuck Cortana is saying because the audio mixing is God awful, not in cutscenes when she starts to tell you what to do next on a mission. Oh yeah. I can never hear what she's saying. And then they don't give you any on-screen prompts as to what the objective is. And there's times where it's like, where the fuck am I supposed to go? Considering this is a fairly linear map. How am I supposed to know what to do? Notoriously bad in the, in those earlier games. Um, yeah, it's like it's like wow. I feel like she's probably saying something super important now. I wish I knew what it was. Brian has a lot to say about that. It's obnoxious. I like I I played through the games. It's 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 bringing back memories to me now of like oh yeah, Cortana is tough to understand this, but it's like you know it's a couple of guys playing the game together and we're having a good time and it's like where the fuck are we supposed to go right now? <laughs> Cortana was speaking to us 90 seconds ago, but she decided to open her mouth one second after just a horde of enemies came in and the machine gun fire drowned her out. And I don't know what she said. Yeah. So that is part of the reason why when I start a game, especially an action based game, you switch subtitles, right? No, I don't even do that. I go into the audio settings of the game and I turn music down to five sound effects down to six and keep dialogue at a hundred or 10. Mm. Um, but, and that, that tends to help. I, cause I don't, I don't love the subtitles cause I find them distracting from watching what's happening. I tend to just be, feel like I'm just reading them versus watching the cutscene that they've, the beautiful cutscene they've made. Um, but, but I don't have a problem during the cutscenes. Yeah. Cause they mix the sound properly. Yeah. Also, most of those cutscenes don't feature a ton of machine gun fire. Do you know what Halo Infinite does that is wonderful and took them way too long to implement? What? You just hit a button to see where the waypoint should be. Yeah, and a lot of games have that. Yeah. Or like, you know, the really good ones have when you hit it, you get like a quick arrow point and the text of the last objective flashes across mm. your screen too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that could be troublesome for sure. <laughs> Which, well, it's especially troublesome in a fairly linear game. Like, yep. when it's an open world game, it's like, okay, I understand maybe part of what you were getting at is you want me to explore and figure it out for myself. And my mileage with that varies. Sometimes I really dig it. Sometimes it's frustrating. Yeah. When it's a linear game and I feel like I've walked around all the doors and also the prompts on screen for, hey, this is an openable door aren't very good either. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's like, wait, I tried opening that door half an hour ago. There there is an interesting thing with Halo that you have to, if you're... you don't really look for it in advance because for a while everything kind of is just clicking, and then eventually you realize like you're oh this is weird I don't know where to go next. Um, but there are some interesting design language things that they do, They're, whether it's like markings on walls or floors or stuff like that are actually like in the design of the level sometimes. And I have played through those games so much that I know I just know pretty much where to go all the time. So like. I can see why it would be difficult, though, revisiting the game after time and not really knowing what, like, yeah, that's something like, like that happens. And it we, we just started Halo 3 last week, and it's been like, uh, the, when that game came out, like, almost 15 years ago, it's been nearly that long since I've played it. Mm. So, it's not like I remember 
And actually, I don't think we've really run into any issues yet with Halo 3, but Halo 2, there was times where it's like, fuck, where the hell are we supposed to go right now? <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that in the, uh, it was at the library in the first Yeah, game. yeah, that was very specifically one of the, the ones that I had trouble with. Yeah, it's tough. Especially, like, oh, well, the other thing that drives me nuts about it is, like, you'll enter a room and then, like, oh, look, there's, like, 4,000 Flood that are attacking. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's mow all of these down. Are we supposed to run through here? Because, you know, there's some of those sequences where it's like, okay, you can fight every single one of them, or you can just try and spread past half of them. Right. And, like, that's a totally viable thing to do. But sometimes you enter, like, what is basically a mini arena, you fight them all, and it's like, okay, so there's no more enemies coming, so surely one of these doors will be open. No, it's not. Oh, wait, four whole minutes later, you're sending another wave of flood in? <laughs> oh, okay. We'll kill all of those. Hey, look, that door opened. Yeah. Like, are you... Come on. <laughs> yeah, it has... It, it, it has some hiccups, for sure. Do you have anything else for consumption? No, that's, uh, that's basically it for me for this week. Then I do believe it is time for our flick of the week. Reservoir Dogs, released in 1992, rated R, with an hour and 39-minute runtime. Your IMDb synopsis. When a simple jewelry heist goes horribly wrong, the surviving criminals begin to suspect that one of them is a police informant. Yeah. Al, this is the first time you're seeing this movie, correct? Correct. That's pretty cool. Yes. I remember seeing it for the first time, like, maybe six years ago or so, um, really enjoying the mystery aspect of it of like, okay, so like, who's, who is it? Right. Like the whole, who's, who's the rat. Yeah. We got a little, <laughs> I, for the, the, the listeners can't see, but I'm doing Jack Nicholson. <laughs> Jack <face> Nicholson. From <laughs> the department. I'm not a cop. <laughs> not a cop. <laughs> oh man. Uh, so why, you know what? Why don't you kick us off with your, um, your hot take, get an idea of how you felt about it. A sleek and stripped-down version of the best of what Tarantino has to offer when he isn't getting in his own way. Bad people saying and doing bad things to each other to try and get one over. 8 out of 10. Nice. We're on on point. Reservoir Dogs keeps you locked in that room from start to finish, regardless of the number of times you've seen it. 8 out of 10. Uh, One of the things... So you've only seen the movie once, so we're coming at this from two different perspectives. It's been one that I've wanted to see. It's, It's one... I've, I've said on here a few times, <clears throat> I don't think I'm a huge fan of Quentin Tarantino. Mm-hmm. I think I'm just a big fan of Kill Bill. Um, I ha- This is the one I've narrowed in on for a long time that I hadn't seen that I actually wanted to see. That I feel is like if any of them is going to speak to me, this one might be it. Sure. And like, I mean, I'd probably have to see it a couple more times. And I don't think I'll ever quite get there with this one in a way that I did with Kill Bill, where it's like, yeah, I really love that movie. But it's a good movie. I like legitimately enjoyed my time with it. I just don't think I'll ever be like obsessed with it, sure. per se. But uh, I enjoyed it. I was I was glad. This it's a legitimately good movie, and I think there is something to the fact that this is like the first feature film that he did, mm. where you know even though he very much you see a lot of the hallmarks of the Tarantino things in this, he has. A governor in this, whether it be the studio, whether it be his editor, whether it be budget, uh, probably a bit of all three of those things. Yeah. Um, his worst excesses don't exist in this movie, right? In any way, really. And I think that's for the better. I think the more freedom he's gotten, the worse his movies have been. 
Yeah, I mean, get at it with what an hour and thirty nine minute runtime we said, right? It's yeah, it's and honestly, it's I, to the point, it, which it, is great, and I think it works for this story. Yeah. Honestly, you could have given me ten or fifteen minutes more of this movie, mm. and I wouldn't have been upset. But yeah, it, it didn't sure. need to be a three hour movie. But just outright, like the outright length of a movie is not an inherent problem. It's only a problem when you're not being judicious with what's on the screen. Yeah. So one of the things I think that'll be interesting here is like like I was service before like you're seeing it for the first time i've seen it now probably like four or five times and um the i keep coming back to it and enjoying watching the movie start to finish knowing that like at this point understanding that it's not even the reveal of who's the informant it's really just the interplay of the characters that is that is what's compelling the like as crass as the dialogue is the rapid fire delivery it's like it it's like a stage play, like it, the way that it's all it, it all unfolds. It's so cool. It has like the way that some of the dialogue flips back and forth between people very much reminds me of like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yeah, I was just and about to say that. I love I love that type of thing. Um, I feel like that's kind of like where also the reason why I love a lot of like Aaron Sorkin stuff is like that 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 style of writing of the dialogue where it is really carrying everything. Uh, and that's just the dialogue delivery. That's most specifically what I was getting at in my in my review, where it's like that is where he's at his best. It's when mm-hmm. it's these people verbally jousting, whether it be yeah. to mislead someone, whether it be to you know pump up your own chest. Those moments of verbal interplay are absolutely the best that he has to offer, and this delivers because, like you said, it's people locked in a room. What else are they going to do? But verbally joust with each other. Yeah. Whether it be sitting around a, uh, a coffee, you know, around a table for brunch, whether it be trying to solve a mystery, whether it be, you know, this person accusing that person, this person interrogating that person, this mm-hmm. person trying to talk someone down from dying, like even a scene that should, you know, is like pumped up with adrenaline, like when when Harvey Keitel and Tim Roth are driving and one of them is bleeding to death, like even just the two of them locked in a car. Right. With someone about to die, the two of them verbally jousting as he's trying to convince him he's not mm-hmm. going to die with logical arguments about, well, you're not a doctor. How could you possibly know that you're going to die? You yeah. know, <laughs> like all of that sort of stuff. I want to say it. I want to hear you say it. The, uh, the one of my favorites of like, so yeah, you're that's the whole movie is this, right? It's like pockets of these types of conversations. And one of my favorite ones, so aside from my favorite one is the beginning. I love the scene in the diner. Um, I hate because some of the all things of that there. they're saying, but oh, yeah. it, but it is really funny, and the way that it leads into like first, you know, talking about music and then moving to, from thing to thing is great. But it's really the I don't tip that whole thing, that whole exchange, and like the breakdown of why, and everybody's like, "You're an asshole," I think, and then <laughs> he's like keeps going, and then the Tim Roth character is like, "You convince me, give me my dollar back." <laughs> like, <laughs> I love that 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 interplay, and then the other part of it, uh, another one, very similar. So the ones that like were my favorites were kind of like these throwaway ones, right? Where it's just a conversation happening between people and just like well executed. Uh, but the the four in the car, it's um, uh, it's Quentin Tarantino, Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, and who said? Oh, and Steve Buscemi. The four of them are sitting in the car, uh, and Quentin Tarantino is trying to tell a story, and. Or a joke. I think it's a story or a joke. It doesn't even matter because he keeps getting interrupted because they're talking. They like 
somebody will say something like, "Yeah, she was in that movie." No, she was in that movie. No, he was in the, she was in this movie, not that movie. And like, and like, he's like, "What? What, what was I saying?" Like, <laughs> and, and like that that whole experience is like a real experience that's just then thrown into a movie for really no reason at all. Like they're just kind of showing you. Um, at that point, you're seeing okay, this is the uh, the informant kind of like just kind of getting into the group and well and also like rings is very authentic to like whether you be planning a jewelry heist or if you're going to the mcdonald's with your buddies like yeah. you're gonna talk about movies conversation <laughs> is gonna happen in yeah. that exact obnoxious way it's kind of well like, it, it this is something we were talking about off of air like one second before we tur- started the movie conversation here where i was talking about yo Guys love to sit around and like name mm-hmm. random athletes, or guys like to sit around and talk about random actors and actresses from random movies. Yep. Like it's distinctly authentic. There's and it's also like, it's absurd, but it's also a slice of life of like these random dudes get thrown into this car together to to work this job. It's not like they're going to drive to go do some landscaping, but if they were, it would also it would be the same with that. Thing. <laughs> yeah. I I think what's funny to me, there's like this snapshot of the time that it takes place is one of them says an actress's name and the other one's like, no, that's not her. And then he's like, well, then who was it that's in that? This is going to ruin me. Like the, I, the concept <laughs> that like, you can't look it up. You can't look it up. Do you remember not being able to look it up? Yeah. That was so, it was, there's something so freeing about that and also so entertaining about trying to piece it together. And then just that, uh, how you feel when you remember. So yes. good. You don't get that anymore. You know what that scene Gone. was? It's, it, it, and it, to, you know, to further, you know, reinforce my point, it's no different than any of the scenes early in Goodwill Hunting where the four of them are driving around Boston. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's exact same scene yeah. with a totally different context, which yep. is... Again, a fundamentally authentic human experience. It's all of the scenes in Diner. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it the, whole, it's the, movie the entire Diner. movie. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a Kevin Smith movie, but like without the Kevin, like all his movies are like that too. Like, but it's just there's also some ridiculous plot going on. Yeah, and it's the same thing as Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross when they're sitting mm-hmm. at dinner or in the office shooting the shit, you know. And it's one of the things that is an excellent like example of great screenwriting and great dialogue, you know, whether it be Mamet or Tarantino or Sorkin or, or, you know, Damon and Affleck, whoever it may be writing it, you know, just sitting and writing authentic feeling conversations between a group of people. Yeah. Um, is it, it, it's fascinating when it's done right, even though it's such a simple, it should be a seemingly simple and like guaranteed bit of writing. Like everyone exists Everyone has had those experiences, but some movies do it and some movies can't. And it's like, it should feel like human nature to be able to execute that on the screen. Uh, And some of it's chemistry and direction, but most of it is script. Yeah. There's, I I was, sometimes I wonder about that. And it's like, in this case, he wanted to make a movie, right? So there's a, there's a passion behind it. It's like telling a story, writing it whatever like it's there's like the fun side of it it's like oh like piecing it together like i could see writing this and having a lot of fun doing it right like Mm -hmm. oh then this character says this and then this character says that and like laughing to yourself as you're writing it down and you know just like this is gonna be so silly and then like the difference between that and then maybe like a studio opting to make a movie and like hiring somebody to write and someone like where it's like not 
the like it wasn't the thing that they sought out to do, which is why I feel like you like there there could be that disconnect in those movies, like in that it wasn't it's not coming from the same mental place that a movie like this is coming from. Well, I also I could see even a, a different side of that where you know you're talking about like the writer sitting there and kind of giggling to themselves mm-hmm. while writing this is like this is perfect, and mm-hmm. then like a producer reading the studio it, goes like, no. This is fucking stupid. Yeah. Do you, are you sure you don't need some help? It's like, no, seriously, just wait till we shoot it. It's like, okay, fine. Go spend a day shooting it. Because it's going to take a day. It's going to cost, what, a couple thousand dollars to yeah. shoot that scene? And then you show the dailies to the producers like, okay, I get it. But cut the crap. Like, yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, like it's like, fine, you were right this time. Shut the fuck up. Get back to work. <laughs> Which, like, yeah. you could do because, like, what was the budget on this movie, right? This had, it was his first movie. He probably didn't get any, I mean, I don't know what the history of it was. Like, he probably didn't get any serious budget for this. Like, I, this for might sure. have even been one that he, like, they, you know, they make for fucking super cheap and then you win a dis- distribution deal for, right? Like, this isn't True. like a m- movie with major studio backing. Let's see if it, do they show the budget information? Is that on? I think so. Uh, okay. Uh, budget 1.2 million. Exactly. Like, you can afford to make those scenes. And I mean, you know, like, it shows, right? There aren't exactly a lot of high, like, flying effects. There's zero CGI. It's most of those people weren't super famous yet. It's really just Harvey Keitel who was famous at this time in this movie. Steve Buscemi wasn't really anyone yet. Um, I don't think Tim Roth was, although he did get credited as a with or an and in this, which I found odd. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For that stage of his career, I found it odd. Um, mm-hmm. I always find it odd when someone like it's like that person's too young to be credited as that. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's see. Like, where where did he get his his start? Yeah, I mean, it's entirely possible. Maybe he was already famous in the UK at that point. I don't know, but okay. So he was in a bunch of TV movies. It looks like starting in '82 up through he had a couple of series that he was in. Whether I don't know, like how regular he was. Um. 88, an uh, 88 first movie, maybe 88. Okay. 88. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Okay. He's, he was in, he was in a bunch of stuff beforehand. And okay, uh, so the maybe, dude maybe was, that's... the dude was doing work for a four year period. there. <laughs> so he probably wasn't in a lot of major roles. So he might've been in a lot of things, but I don't think he was probably like the star of any of those things would be my guess. Yeah. I wouldn't know, but um, so either way, my point is 1.2 million and, like half of that might have gone to Harvey Keitel. Right, right. So 1.2 million, does this movie, uh, at the box office, is this movie profitable? Your guess? <laughs> well, I'm looking at it. Oh, you are? We, <laughs> yes. should, we, we could turn this into a game. Yeah, no, I mean, it is a it is a legit game for a movie podcast to do. But yeah, no, it barely turned a profit, which is to say it doubled its budget. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was nearly $3 million gross, uh, which is kind of crazy. I, I don't, I guess it, was it critically acclaimed? I know it became a cult classic, but I guess it wasn't a box office smash, which is yeah. Surprising. I, don't, I don't know. That'd be. I would like to. Uh, I would like to look into some of that stuff maybe before we do our our episodes, just so that I have it handy. Because yeah. this will be fun I'm stuff actually, to draw on. I'm surprised that's all it actually made. Um, like, because that's really not very much. Like, I didn't expect it to be like fifty million, but I would have guessed. I don't know, ten million. You know, the <laughs> trivia. The film's budget was so low that many of the actors were asked to simply bring their own clothing as wardrobe. Most notably, Chris Penn's track jacket. 
I was gonna say, between Chris Penn wearing the cheapest looking shit in the world, the rest of them were wearing like off the rack black suits. Like yep. it's yep. yeah. The 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 wardrobe budget could have been a thousand dollars, right? The signature black suit was provided for free by the by the designer based on her love for the American crime film genre. <laughs> Even better, I guess. Uh, Steve Buscemi wore his own black jeans instead of suit pants. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Michael Madsen wore a jacket and pants that came from two different suits. Of course. Weird, weird fact. Weird fact. Uh, so what I, another piece of the movie that I love is transitions. So we get that diner sequence. So fun, like crass, but lighthearted. Like they're just goofing off talking. Verbal jousting, as you would. And then we're thrown into the shit. Like, it's like, oh, oh. <laughs> I was surprised how, especially you have, like, kind of, like, an extended cold open, basically, of yeah. them just, like, chatting, which, as you were talking about describing it, I was trying to think of, like, what other scenes that reminded me of it. And part of it, one, one that I think was more likely and easily explained is, like, 12 Angry Men, right? Mm. Specifically what you were talking about, him going on the screen about tipping and Tim Roth wanting his dollar back, right? Yeah. Like, it reminds me of like, like that whole process of trying to convince people in 12 Angry Men where everyone's against Gregory Peck and then eventually... Oh, not Gregory Peck. Um, what, I forget what the guy's name is now. Um, the, the 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 lead guy who's the first... Like, yeah, I'm, try, I'm, it's, I'm drawing a blank. <clears throat> Wrong black and white crime drama movie. Uh, that's what I came up with Gregory Peck for. Um, but yeah, where he first gets the first person to say, hey, you know what, maybe we Henry should Henry Fonda. Anymore. Yes, him. Um, so the other scene that is a little harder to describe, even for myself, but just I'm getting like a similar vibe is in uh, Monty Python when they're arguing about the, the witch and like <laughs> all the qualifications. I have like, not seen a Monty Python Oh, really? I've oh, yeah, I'm talking seen about the Holy Grail. Um, Bam a lot, the play. Okay, yeah, I've never seen that one, actually. I've never seen any other stuff. I've, I've only seen the Holy Grail. We should do that for the, the show, because that that movie is ridiculous. Um, okay. But there's a scene where they're like trying to evaluate whether or not someone's a witch. And okay. it's all these things like, you know, you know well, witches, uh, you know, witches float or can't float. I forget which one it is. <laughs> it's like, you know... Well, we're, you know, we you can't throw her in there. You know, she might drown, or maybe she, you know, whatever, something like that. He's like, well, ducks float. You know, is it is it heavier or lighter than a duck? Like, and it turns into this whole <laughs> stupid thing where they're all arguing amongst these, themselves with all these things that, like, someone proclaims that they know. And it's like that's a patently absurd thing to just proclaim as fact. Because they're all arguing with each other about what, and like that was kind of the gist of what was going on here with them arguing over the stupidest shit. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then and then when they, when they start arguing about things that are more important, like who's the rat, it even it, it's like another layer on top of that that is also kind of funny because they kind of bring similar arguments because they have no arguments. Yes. I love Steve Buscemi's argument. Well, I know it's not me, so it's got to be one of you. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's it, it's true. Like it, it, they keep expounding upon that idea, but so like, it, that scene wraps up. And then they walk out and they get the ridiculous this music playing as they're slow motion walking to the car in their yep. black suits. And they introduce all of them, which is kind of like a cool old school way to do that. I appreciate that. And it's like, you know, Reservoir Dogs fade to black. And it's Harvey Keitel 
furiously driving across a bridge while Tim Roth is dying in the back seat. It's like, wait, where the fuck did we get to this? Also, that, that, yeah, well, and now, now on that scene, just the crazy, yeah, the crazy switch. Now you're in there. Another like bit of great dialogue that I feel like it's kind of like heavy. She killed me. Like he's saying that. And I thought that was like a really interesting way of phrasing it, right? Like he's like, yeah, I'm gonna die. And it's I, like now I'm gonna die. I'm dead. She killed me. She killed me. That, past tense. He kept talking about himself yeah. past tense. That was that 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 one's always got me. I, I was like it made made me feel so eerie. I do think to jump a little bit ahead on that, um, when you find out that he's the informant and they kind of I like the way that they do okay, so Here's the beginning, before the job, everybody friendly. Here is the aftermath. And then one at a time, we're going to show you what happened to like these groups together, like on their way here. And um, I just, I, I love, I love the way that that, that, that bit was executed. But for his specifically, uh, when they jack the car and the woman shoots him in the gut, with a like a what I assume was a it looked like a, just a small handheld in, in the in the glove box maybe the twenty two yeah it was a she had a, a small like revolver yeah yeah um and then he instinctually shoots her mm-hmm. like quickly he's a cop he like he pulled his gun she had a gun and he shot her but the in I, you know how I am with like all these movies like the facial acting or like the physical acting like the entire scene is on his face in that moment of the regret the immediate regret of how far this has gone and like how wrong it went in 30 seconds. Like just, I just killed an, like an innocent bystander. I'm a, I'm not one of these guys. They do that. Yeah. <laughs> and I no, ended he, up in this, it's, he it's, it's lost heavy the thread at that point. Yeah. <laughs> what you say? So you definitely lost the thread at that point. Yeah. It It's just like, it, I don't know. There was something, there was something really like it was, it felt like a gut punch. Um, even though it more got shot in his case. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, yeah, it's it's a tough scene, right? Because it's like, I'm sure there's that guilt of, oh, I just killed this woman. I didn't mean to do that. She didn't deserve that. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, she also just shot you. For yeah. Like, like but they, listen, I, I understand it's the early 90s, but like car insurance existed, right? Like, yeah, you could you could defend yourself and all like if someone tried to hurt you. But it's like, man, it's just so not worth fighting over someone stealing your car. Yeah. Especially when there's two of them, because like. They're armed and they're stealing your car, and you might shoot the first one, but the other one's probably going to shoot you. Yeah. Oh, man. It, you know what? It, it's also one of the things. So we've also, I think we actually maybe talked about this last week a little bit with the uh, with Steve Martin's character in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. But there is a a personal, it's just a really, it's a pet peeve of mine. It makes my skin crawl. I get so angry when somebody is mad that something bad is happening to them when they are completely in the wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. And these guys are all like the way that they're talking about the assholes, like the cops that are like stopping them. And it's like, you're bank robbers. Like, you, like, <laughs> you, like, I, like regardless, like you got to know you're the bad guy. Right. It's true. But on the other hand, actually, you know, you can almost understand that like when you, when you step into their shoes, and you're just trying to understand what's going through their mind. Where it's like they're mad at like the bank teller or the security guard, and it's like some of that comes from we've done this a million times. We know how they're supposed to respond, like right, like they're talking about mm-hmm. it in the planning, like okay, when you do this, this is how they'll react because they've seen this a million times, so they know. And it's like 
anytime someone sticks their like you know you know what why did that person hit the alarm it's not their money it's not their jewelry the the company policy is for them to not do this they broke company policy and it's like they're insulted right because there's like like steve buscemi keeps dropping the line we're professionals act like professionals yes and that's well, the whole I'm thing, the right? only one acting like a professional here. These guys are all professionals, and so they've been doing this so long that they know the other side is supposed to act professionally in a certain way, and they're almost insulted. Like, yeah. I had to shoot you because you didn't even do your job right. right. Your job <laughs> is to you, give me you the jewels. You made me shoot you. <laughs> Not because I, you know, I want the jewels, because it's your job, because the company's insured up the ass, and they don't want to pay out your life insurance policy. They want to collect on the policy of their jewels being stolen. You are an asshole and didn't do your job. Well, I'm trying to do my job. And so I shoot. Yeah. And it's like, that's psychopathic. Yeah. <laughs> logic. But it is logic. Yeah. Okay. That's right. I guess it does take to be in that position. You do have to be a psychopath. So I guess that that's fair. That's a, it's a good way of looking at it, but it just, it is a thing. I, uh, I love the concept of justice. So, like, <laughs> this type of thing really irritates the shit out of me. Oh, but yeah. I, again, you know, I'm not condoning this, right? Course. But it's like, to me, like, I actually, more, I, I actually, I totally agree. And I, I largely, you know, feel the same way as you do in this one. But in this movie, I actually didn't feel it. It's like, oh, yeah, no, I can see their perspective. They're insane. But, like, <laughs> their, their perspective isn't wholly wrong, right? Like, <laughs> it's. <laughs> Uh, as much as they shouldn't be robbing the fucking jewelry store <laughs> right right oh my god uh the uh i like when i do enjoy the mr white mr orange exchanges no mr white mr yes. pink exchanges while mr yeah. orange is bleeding out on the floor uh when they they go over to the separate room we're gonna be right over there you're gonna be fine <laughs> i'm gonna be right over there I, I'll watch you the whole time, and then the two of them. Are going I'm dying. No, you're not. You walk out of the room. He might be dying. He might be dying. <laughs> uh, but like the two of them going back and forth. That I love that conversation of just like, like what the ha- what what happened? You tell me what happened. They're trying to piece it together. Like the franticness of it, right? Of like, well, I know this guy. Like I know Mr. Blue is dead. Like I saw him die. Uh, and Mr. And Brown Mr. probably White's dead. Like, I saw him get shot. Mr. Brown's <laughs> dead. Well, when we left him, he was you know he wasn't moving. Um, and like, like that, like that whole thing, like as they're trying to piece the whole story together, but Steve Buscemi, like trying to feel out whether or not he could trust him. And I do think there is something interesting where Steve Buscemi takes his gun out and he's like checking it, reloading it, cocking For a it. second there, I was sure he was going to shoot him. Right. But I, so then Mr. White's looking at him and he's, you could see like, he's like ready to grab his gun. Cause he's like watching him do this thing. I really feel like. Mr. Pink is probably this like the most brilliant of them all. Like where I feel like he was really trying to he knows he didn't do it. And he knows that it could be like it's logical. If it's not him, it's one of these other guys. And like trying to figure out which one it is. And I almost think that him doing that was just to see how Mr. White would react. Yeah. And like knowing like he's doing it very casually. But like just to kind of feel out the situation i feel like that's why he did it i don't know i I could be completely wrong but it just seemed possible well i also think there was a an interesting dynamic for for me first time i was watching it where i kept going back and forth early on well is it mr pink or is it mr orange who was the rat because Mm. there you could read 
all like a lot of those scenes, especially the one like you're talking about with Mr. Pink and Mr. White, where <clears throat> is Pink trying to provoke a response here? You know, is he going so over the top in his reaction, his indignation, yeah. and his attention to detail, where he's telling a story to act like he's fitting in, like you know, going way past it, where you know. I know I didn't do it, which means it has to have been you or him or anyone else who's unaccounted for. Right. By coming up so strong, do you bluff and push everyone away from the fact that it was you? Yeah, I, I definitely, I do recall watching it the first time and thinking, my eyes are on you right now. Um, as like, you know, I'm always trying to figure out like what the, like what's going on. But uh, especially because he was so vocal about, we got to figure it out. It, yeah. it, it it's very yeah i'm trying to take the heat off me type of thing uh but it's it's cool it's just there's so many crazy interactions now mr blonde is a, just a complete psycho wild card that is really like everything kind of falls apart mostly because of him um which i was a little thrown by because he's calculating but the way he's first introduced to you coming out of prison showing back up he doesn't seem like a psychopath there. Yeah. Like, obviously he's a bad dude, but like mm-hmm. I viewed him more in the way that you're supposed to view Harvey Keitel's character. I felt like where it was like, he's a professional. He's been right. in this job for a long time. He did his time. He's ready to get back in the business. He will kill you if you get in his way, but he doesn't, necessarily spoiling to do it for fun and mm-hmm. then we find out that that's distinctly not the truth right that is very odd and i do wonder it made me wonder is that what he was always like or is that what he's like now because of the time away that he had well there's also i think an element maybe of this went such to shit i know i'm not getting out of this so i just i've snapped at this point mm-hmm. and i'm just gonna go way off the edge, you know, here where it's like, maybe it was barely controlled fury beneath him all along in his life. And this is just finally, well, I'm going back in. So I might as well go out swinging and it's, I'm going to, I've, I hate cops and I hate, you know, prison and blah, blah, blah. And so I'm just, I'm going to start chopping off your ear and I'm going to light you on fire. Like, cause at a certain point, he's clearly not interrogating him anymore. In fact, he, act, he actively says it to him. I don't really care what you say. I'm going to kill you and it ain't going to be quick. And it's like, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, there's a, in that moment of knowing that this guy's going to die and they're all telling him that, they basically all said that to him a, like a few times now and they don't care that he's going to, that the cops, like they don't care. It is really uncomfortable to watch. Oh yeah. It's like very. Oh, that like, level of callousness. Like this wasn't even like he was the one who shot Mr. Blue. Like, cause then you could kind of understand yeah. it's like, like righteous anger sort of situation right where it's like we're gonna get revenge for our buddy and kill yeah. you it's like no we're gonna target you for a while oh you have no answers eh. yeah we're gonna kill you and then the brutal like dismemberment of him oh my god and then i do it was kind of cool the way that they do the sequence of him I, well I was just like, you turn up to 11 a bit there, where, where it's like, I'm like, oh, God. Thankfully, they don't really, like, show him cutting the ear off, because that yeah. would have been pretty miserable to watch. But I I have to admit, I couldn't suppress a, a bit of a chuckle or a guffaw when Michael Metzen turns and says, like, hello or whatever, yeah. into the ear. <laughs> I'm just like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> Like, who even thinks to do that? I mean, who thinks to just, I'm going to cut your ear off for the fuck of it? 
and then follow that up by talking into that ear and then yeah. laughing. He laughs at himself doing it. Yeah. Uh, and like just like the just before he gets started playing the music and kind of dancing right before he slashes his face, like that whole thing was like really disturbing. Um, but it was very co- Patrick Bateman covering him in gasoline, and you're like, oh god. And then the way that like you don't you think Tim Roth is out at that point, <clears throat> Mister Orange, but he uh, comes to just in time to to light up Mister Blonde but, big time. But well, there's one thing that I noticed like. He, how far back does he go after he gets shot? He goes like the length of the warehouse. Like 50 feet. He goes back about 50 feet, yes. Because he ends up on the back wall. And like, to be fair, like, so he douses him with the, the gasoline and then he's walking a path through it back so he can safely light yeah. it. So he isn't like right in front no, of him No, but he's anymore. like halfway between the chair yeah. and the he back still of the travels. And, and, like, also, I think there may have been, I'd have to go back and rewatch, but there may have been some inconsistent, inconsistent depths of that room. It feels like some shots, the back wall is, like, 30 feet away, yeah. and some <laughs> shots where the back wall is, like, 100 feet away, and yeah. it's like, wait, we're still shooting this from the same perspective. How can that be? You know what was an odd thing that I don't know what, like, where the choice came in? I don't know if it was, like, just give him instructions. Steve Buscemi says to Mr. Mr. Pink, says to Mr. White, I have to go take a piss. Does this place have a bathroom? And I don't know why, but like I recall it, but like Mr. White was like, yeah, go down the hall, make a right, go up the stairs, make a left, and then your first right. I'm like, why? Why are we like, what are these directions? Like, where did this come from? Just because like they're trying to establish that it's like a real place that they're familiar with. Like, I, I guess, but like, it just, it almost seems to me like he gave him such ridiculous directions to get to it that, like, it had to be partially improv. <laughs> but- also, also, how big was that place? <laughs> and, like, I don't know, there was a perfectly good sink there he could have pissed mm-hmm. into. Like, they don't seem to be having very... I was kind of, like, like, I was like, aren't you in a bathroom? <laughs> yeah. I, was it a bathroom or a kitchen? I don't I know. Think, I, I don't, don't like that I don't know. Yeah. Um, but, like, also, that like it's not like there was much discipline... Going on in this safe house, where okay, the cops might know we're here. We got to get out of here. Meanwhile, they're throwing cigarette butts and smearing blood all over the place. It's like yep. there is so much DNA evidence in this yeah. place already. <laughs> like, what's the difference if you go piss in the corner? Honestly, <laughs> this is true. This is true. So, what? Another weird one. Uh, Mister Brown, Quentin Tarantino's character, was he shot in the head? And then drove for a little bit, and then... It seems like that, and I also was curious. Like, oh yeah, I saw him, like, he's definitely dead, and they show that scene, I'm like, okay, so surely they're all gonna run away, and he's gonna get lit up, and oh no, he's just sitting in the car, and he's dead, he's got blood on his forehead. At first, I thought maybe they were trying to get away, and they, like, crashed, kind of, Mm -hmm. and he, like, bumped his head on the steering wheel. I think that's what it was from. Same. Um, and it seems like, no, he must have probably been shot in the head. It's like, how did the drive the getaway driver get shot in the head? And if you guys saw he got shot in the head, why were you letting him be the driver? <laughs> right. Because I almost like, to, like in my mind, like, did he get shot in the head before he started driving the car? Did they get in the car with him being shot in the head? <laughs> and also, yeah, how does the getaway driver, I mean, I guess, you know, maybe on their escape, he get he catches a, like a stray through the windshield or whatever. But like, I'm mm. like, isn't the getaway driver supposed to be the one who like, is not shot? Isn't the getaway driver supposed to save the guy who was shot because yeah. he threw him in the backseat of the car? <laughs> so, and then Mister Blue doesn't even get an on-screen death. Yeah, we don't even see him again after the 
after the breakfast scene. Yeah, like that. He just, he didn't make it. <laughs> uh, when they get, when Joe and Nice Guy Eddie make their way, oh, that was the other thing. When Nice Guy Eddie shows up and he's like kind of pissed off now because Mr. Blonde is dead and uh, Mr. Orange shot him and he gave him this whole story. It's like, who, this guy? And he just like lights up the cop. Like after all of that and the saving moment, he just comes in and he kills the cop anyway. Like that whole thing was like, oh my God. <laughs> Which like, you can't be that surprised because no. basically he's no. in everyone's face and everything. Yeah. They're, they're, they're that guy's like, probably this, not who, this guy? And he's like, bang, 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 bang. Like it's a lot. But uh, so we get this into this into this standoff, and Joe is pointing say, like also yeah. Well, right before that, like his whole rationale there was a little bit forced. Like, oh wait, you killed him over like this guy. Like he's gonna die anyway. He shoots him. It's like no, even you like being someone who's probably been a cold blooded killer before this moment, and now we've seen right there. Although you can argue how cold blooded it is, he's pretty fucking pissed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a big difference between. This cop can't walk out of this room. We're going to have to kill him. And you shoot him. And he chopped his ear off and lit him on fire. Like, those are not the same thing. Right. right? Like, you can have the morals of, we don't feel great about this, but we know that we'll have to kill some people here. We're going to do it. The big difference between executing him and lighting him on fire. Those Mm -hmm. are not the same things. Like, there is is room for a little bit of nuance. Not the least of which, lighting that dude on fire inside of your safe house is an incredibly bad strategic and tactical <laughs> move when there are cops and helicopter units searching for you. You hear helicopters multiple times during the course of the movie. That's intentional. There's a manhunt underway for them. Till that point, you think that they're probably under the radar. We know that that's not true because Mr. Orange has already tipped off the police to the safe house. They're just waiting for Joe to show up. But if you're someone in that room who still thinks there's a sliver of a chance that you can get away... Lighting someone on fire inside of that building is not a sound move, strategically. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mr. Blonde also stopped for a bit gulp on the way into the place, so... Sure. My point is, like, Fast Guy Eddie should have been able... Not Fast Guy. Nice Guy Eddie. Fast should, Guy Fast Eddie. Guy, yeah, why not? Same thing. Uh, nice Guy Eddie should have been able... But again, he's probably a, a shitty, like, henchman, ultimately. But, like, you, know, you should have been able to understand, oh, yeah, not wise to light a human on fire inside of this safe house. Yeah. I another pet peeve. I don't know what the age is. I don't know when. I don't know when you stop saying it. But nice guy Eddie is too old to be calling his father daddy. <laughs> I like it. That makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> I think it needs to stop. That was uh, was that Big Jake, the the John Wayne movie, where uh, his son keeps calling him daddy, and then he ends up beating the shit out of him for calling him daddy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've never seen that. I, I'm pretty sure it's Big Jake. Um, God. Uh, so, my dad. Uh, Joe arrives, Nice Guy Eddie's there, we get into this little standoff, Nice Guy Eddie's and Joe are convinced that it's Mr. Orange because it's the only one that they don't know from previous jobs, um, which is perfectly sound. <clears throat> yeah. think Much more sound reasoning than you killed this guy for trying to light someone on fire. And then the Mr. White's guilt has him blinded and doesn't think that it's him because he's just a kid in his eyes that, you know. He's hurt and he's dying. And uh, so we have this weird standoff where Joe is pointing the gun at Mr. Orange. Mr. White is pointing his gun at Joe. Nice guy Eddie is pointing his gun at Mr. White. Yes. And then all three guns fire and all four men are hit. Who's the fourth? (laughs) So Joe shot 
Mr. Orange. Yes. Yeah, okay. Mr. Yeah. White shot Joe. Yes. Nice guy Eddie shot Mr. White. Nice guy Eddie drops. Yeah, who shot Nice guy Eddie. That's a good yeah. point. So I was like, now, granted, I've seen the movie a number of times, and I never, I guess I never really, like, dug into it at all. But Is it a the one other plus night, one plus I was, two plus one situation? Yeah, the last, when I was watching it the other night, it's for a rewatch, like, in preparation for this, I'm in bed, I'm watching the re- the end of it on my phone, and I'm like, I did, I did that to myself, and I chuckled. I went one plus two plus, and then I went, <laughs> and I rewound it, and I watched it again. And I was like, no, wait, seriously, what? And <laughs> I let it play again, and I rewound it, and I go, I got nothing. My best guess was like, Mr. Pink at this point is hidden under the ramp. Maybe he shot the last guy standing because he saw how, who was aiming at who, just to make sure that they all get got. So does Mr. Does Mr. White not get two shots off? I'm, not, no. I'm honestly asking. No, he doesn't. Um, he was supposed to. So this is what I found out after the fact. I ended up looking into this, and it was intentional that Mr. White was supposed to shoot Joe and then nice guy Eddie. But the pack went too early. And, <laughs> and they didn't want to reshoot the scene. And yeah, when they shot the scene, and they and he just dropped, and Quentin Tarantino decided to leave it that way, and thought that it would spark conversation. Well, I was gonna say like they didn't want to just reshoot the scene again. It's not like that would be that expensive. Well, I mean, they are wearing their own clothes, so I guess they don't have extras. Okay, fair. <laughs> it all it'd comes a full weird. circle. It, it'd, it'd be a little bit weird if they shot that scene and then like it, like there's a cut and, and, and nice guy Eddie is like shirtless on the ground like, <laughs> they reshot him getting shot again but they couldn't reuse the shirt <laughs> uh i love that idea i love this well, concept there is a- that they use the same they do multiple takes but the same wounds and bullet holes from previous takes are also in the scene <laughs> well i mean like there already was i feel like a bit of a continuity error in that scene where mr pink is standing well away from the ramp and then it's just under the and ramp. then under it yeah it's like when Peter forgets how to sit down and is just in the chair. The the that whole warehouse is the room of requirement. Like it's when you need it <laughs> when you, when you need to be under the ramp, you're just there. When you need the wall to be a thousand feet away, it's there. It's <laughs> a good point. Um, which also then when you need a bathroom, thing. it's down the hole, first right, up the stairs, up the stairs, left, left, and then your then first your right. Next right. <laughs> um. There's that also sets up the like the final sequence mm-hmm. where Mr. Orange immediately after protesting, I'm not a cop, I'm not a cop, I'm not a cop, immediately tells a dying Mr. White, actually JK, I am a cop. Yeah, I find that choice very odd. Is it a um I'm dying, it's like a like almost like a reconciliation type thing? Like I like just like getting it off his chest that he Yeah, is it guilt? Like, he feels like he doesn't deserve to survive because he killed the woman. Although Maybe. I, I feel like it's defensible because she shot him first. But I, I could see that being the case, though, if that's this reason. Or is it is it guilty because, oh, fuck, Mr. White, you were the only person here who wasn't an absolute total psychopath. Like, yeah. You tried to take care of me. You have never wanted to kill anyone. You have killed them. But right, like, been the you're most dying reluctant. because you defended me, so I feel yeah. honor-bound so to I'm, tell you. Yeah, yeah so I'm honor-bound to tell you. Is it... Put me out of my misery. If I tell you, it'll provoke you into killing me. But also, it seems like he doesn't necessarily want to die in that final minute. But I don't know. There are layers there. I, maybe it's just like a, a like an like a respect, you know, 
game sees game situation where it's like, mm-hmm. listen, man, you went to the to the mattresses for me here. I feel like I owe this to you, and whatever comes of it comes of it. Yeah. Now, does does Mr. White kill Mr. Orange? Yes. Are you sure? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's no way to know for sure, but from sure. the way the scene is shot and the fact that his gun goes off a few seconds before the cop's guns start shooting. Does it? I couldn't tell. I actually wanted to rewatch the scene. Yeah, it's like didn't... bang, and then they unload. Well, it feels like all of the, the bangs were like kind of non-directional. And also, if you notice, like the camera pans, so you can't actually see the gun anymore, or barely see the gun. So you're not 100% certain which direction's facing him. Like you said, it could be firing at the cops, could be firing at Mr. Orange. Also, is there even, like I said, it, it, the audio almost sounded non-directional, because the, it, does his gun ever actually even go off, because you don't ever see the muzzle flash? I think I, I, I'm I okay. Honestly, it, to me, it's not even... Like I'm just like yeah, he shot him, and then the cops killed him. Like I, like I, I could see wanting to explore it more, but like it doesn't quite measure up to um, Inception, but it does feel a little bit like the top at the end, where it's like, and I think you can just read into what would his motivations be, what was his character like? Does he finally give in there and kill him? Does mm-hmm. he decide to go out with guns blazing and shoot the cops? Is it not him shooting oh, at all? It's just him- dream. what was the line? <laughs> oh yeah, if, if you're gonna shoot me in a dream, you better wake up and apologize. Yeah, so. He uh he was he's a tough guy. It's, uh he was lied to. The whole thing went south because of this guy. He defended him, and everything went even further south. I think he. I think that it makes perfect sense that he kills him. Oh yeah, no, of course. But to me, I, as soon as it was done, I was like, that was done intentionally. So you're not a hundred percent sure, yeah, yeah, which, yeah. which I'm fine with. I'm just curious to see what what when you like set, had settled on person. I don't know I'd what like happened to, to Mr. Pink. Him. Well, he well, he definitely died. Did he die? Because there's no gunshots outside. He gets arrested. Yes, there, yes, there are. There yes, are? there are. Yes, before the cops come in, while Mr. Orange is confessing to Mr. White, you hear a door slam as he's escaping, and then you hear a bunch of gunfire outside the building. Oh, I don't remember hearing the gunfire. Maybe I, I was also... I, I was absolutely starting to doze off at that point. So, Which is... That's fine. And that's also yeah. why I was wondering what, like, whether your election... Because Mr. White standing there with a gun against Mr. Orange's head, to me, it does feel like there's a pop and then a bunch of pops, but they all they sounded intentionally non-directional where it could just be one cop decides to pull the trigger first and then they all start firing, or yeah. it could be him shooting Mr. Orange and then they all fire in response because they're telling him, drop the gun, don't do it, don't do it, and then you just start hearing gunfire. Yeah. But the way it went down, I'm pretty sure, like, 99... I'm even more certain that Mr. Pink got lit up than I am of... Huh. Mr. White, because I I agree, the most likely outcome is probably that he shot Mr. Orange, but I'm not totally convinced of that. I think that, um, yeah, I, I I would also think that Mr. Pink is that specifically because I feel like the story here at the end of the day is like it goes south. How south? They all died. Like that's yeah. that's how bad this job went. Yeah, everybody, including the guy who planned it, who's not even there, <laughs> died. <laughs> Joe. Oh yeah, he shows up to die. Like that's basically what a choice. Basically, the only person who didn't die is the guy running, Mister Orange. The guy what? The guy running, Mister Orange. Oh yeah, right, right. His his handler, his boss, whatever. Was that Um, his voice though? Was he the one? Well, no, he didn't die. But like, I'm kind of curious. Like, was he the? Did he? Was he the one telling? Oh, on the megaphone or whatever. Yeah, I'm not sure. Actually, I I wasn't paying attention for that. Mm. That. 
Good say, on, on the topic on the topic of him, there's really only one other thing to discuss. We, we can do it for five seconds or for five minutes if you want. But the commode story. It was the whole thing that his handler taught him. You need to have a thing to do when you're trying to prove yourself. And he tells the story about him smuggling drugs. <laughs> and he walks into the bathroom filled with the, the canine unit. Yeah. That whole sequence where where he's explained to what the commode story is, convincing mm-hmm. him to do it, them crafting the story together. That and, was cool. Cutting to him, telling the story. Yeah. And while he's telling the story, they're cutting back and forth to it. And it's like, you have to remember the details. Did it have paper towel? Or was there an air dryer? Like, you know, did you shake twice? Or, you know, did you flush? Mm-hmm. You know, all that sort of stuff. You know what? And, I, what bothered me about that, though, is like at the end, the, I feel like that story is like, the story for them is the fact that like he just ended up in the situation and then he just leaves. Right. Mm -hmm. I feel like it should have just been taking a little step further. He puts his bag on the on the sink to wash his hands. I feel like the funny story to tell there would have been, you know, I'm panicking. I'm shitting a brick. So I wash my hands. I dry them. I leave. And on my way out, I hear, Hey buddy, you forgot your bag. You forgot your bag. <laughs> like that, I feel like that would have been the story. <laughs> but, yeah. It's great because, yeah, there are layers there of, like, the audacity, the idiocy. Yeah. The, just, like, absolute courage under fire, like, ice in his veins. Like, yeah, I went to the links, and not only did I not turn around and walk right out, I took my piss, walked past them. Yeah. Washed my hands. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, that, in the context of the movie and the storytelling, like, that makes more sense, right? Because that he's... Like I don't know what a balls of steel or something like that. Um, yeah, which which they which he needs to prove that he'll be uh, unshakable. An asset. Yeah, yeah. So that makes sense. I just think that that would that's the other things would be funny to, to have seen. <laughs> and what what is does one of the cops says something to him? Right. What what was it? I don't remember what it was. Like it's kind of like delivered like the punchline, right? I don't remember. I'm not sure. But that I do. That was a great. That is a great sequence of events. The the build up of like explaining what the story is, and then developing the story, and the and the the practice and delivery all being in the same montage is a really cool mechanic. I love that. Yes, I love that I, stuff. I enjoyed that. It's good stuff. Any other notes on this sucker? No, I think that was all the big stuff for me. Cool. Well, we got this experience where um, you were seeing the movie for the first time, and I had seen it a bunch of times before. We could do the re- the reverse of this with another Quentin Tarantino movie. I have not actually seen Kill Bill. Really? So we could do that at some point. You haven't seen them at in, all? In, no. In the near future. Wow. And it'll be the opposite. Okay. So are we going to do a, a double feature? We're going to do both movies? I would assume so. You tell technically, me. Technically, they are. It is one movie. It's a two-part movie. Yeah. I know they eventually recut it and re-released it as like, it was like Kill Bill, the whole thing, the whole damn thing, or something the like whole, that. The whole, yeah. Um, which I've never watched it in that format, so I don't know if there's any differences or if it's just, you know, three or four hours of content. I don't, I don't know much about it, um, except for the concept that he does. Like, I, I remember hearing like a ways back, and this might make more sense to you, that he does want to make, like, there is a sequel that he has in mind that from, like, the, uh, is there a daughter? Does, does she have a daughter in the movie? Yeah, from the daughter, like, and that daughter would be the lead, but it was he wanted to wait until she was old enough. To so he wants the same actress, or yeah, okay. So I thought that I thought that was a cool concept. Well, huh. kind of like a 
a boyhood situation <laughs> where it's just going to wait to make the sequel until the character is old enough to play the character. It makes a certain amount of sense because one of the other characters also has a daughter. Yeah, that that was the revenge. From what I understood, that was like the whole point. It would be. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah for Nina Green, I think it was was the name's daughter. Okay. Um. It's yeah. Um. No, I really enjoy those movies. Um. Oh. We have to set out a plan for that one. We probably we may have to skip out on um everything else. Like, the same level of news and notes and yep. and consumption because it's a. Between all of there, like there's a lot yeah. to talk about in that one, so we might have to do an abbreviated version or start earlier, or maybe do it in person or something like that. If, cool. Yeah, if you want to plan and do it that way, that sounds fun. Break up. We'll do it in two parts. <laughs> Boom! That's all for this week's episode of Flicks and the Six. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, if you have a movie for us to review or nuggets for us to discuss, you can send those requests to Flicks and the Six at thespintune.com. Tune in next week for more movie and beer goodness. Until then, I'm Anthony Costanzo. I'm Al Bielsi. Thanks for coming out. Bye.